lovely listeners, and welcome to this week's installment of Dead and Lovely, your absolute favorite horror movie review podcast here with the host with the most, Uncle Ben. And who is that handsome, handsome man I got on the other end of this call here? Steven Spratling! <laughs> I always wanted Cobra Commander to be mad at me. <laughs> that came in so much hotter than I anticipated. <laughs> I wonder how long you could keep that up and like how long people would listen to that on a podcast. Oh, God, I, I wouldn't listen to it. There's no way. I love if that was like somebody's first time they've ever listened to our show and they just immediately hit stop right there. They're like, nope. Yeah, they're like, fuck that guy's voice. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even handle it. (laughs) Steve, how have you been doing this week out there in them Hollywood Hills? Uh, Pretty good. I've had a boring week. So, yeah, not a whole lot going on except watching some pretty awesome television with my wife. So, yeah, you've been watching some TV. Well, I guess uh, Netflix TV. Yeah, cool. well, how else does anybody else watch TV? It's not TV. It's Netflix. What are you going to do? Watch TV by fucking candlelight like the cable TV pioneers did? What have you been watching on that newfangled Netflix TV? Well, my wife and I watched the gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling glow. Oh, I want to watch that, man. It's really good. Is it's it? really, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I will watch anything Allison Brie is in, and I... I don't think I've ever been disappointed by anything Allison Brie has ever been in. So agreed. Way to go. Agreed, man. Now, being um, being that we are both old school redneck pieces of shit from the South that grew up just entrenched in the world of pro wrestling, uh-huh. does it do a pretty good job of being respectful to the art form that we? Adore? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what what it is. It's very respectful to to pro wrestling, and that's why I, I really enjoyed it nice man now yeah and also it's funny it's it's a real funny show but like it's got some drama but it's mostly funny is it based on true stories um it's roughly based off of the actual true story of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling but none of the i don't think any of the characters are the actual characters that were in it and this you know names have been changed and stuff but it's pretty much the story right on man i'll definitely have to check that out a couple of people have told me how much they enjoyed it yeah it's it's really good and allison brie is great in it and mark maron is great in it. it it's oh sick yeah definitely worth the watch i've heard that he podcasts too nah i don't know maybe i think he had somebody on some uh former president or something yeah not long ago it's weird though mm. like why who would want to hear that mm. when they could hear uh two dudes nobody knows uh talking about horror movies <laughs> actually mark Marin was on one of my favorite podcasts i listened to this like guitar podcast called no guitar is safe uh-huh and uh, it's this really awesome player named jude gold who sits down and interviews other guitar players and they just kind of like play and jam through yeah. the whole thing it's a really great listen and uh he had mark Marin on the show a couple months ago did he apologize to his guitar he apologized the entire show because he was like, I really don't know why you have me on here because I'm like a shitty player that just wants to <laughs> try to scrape by and play blues. He's like, I'm not good or anything, but well, yeah. here it goes. It was really good, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, the the dude is, he's uh, eternally uh, pessimistic and always thinks the worst of himself, but he's obviously very talented, so 
And he's a great content generator where it's just like, whatever, just get that guy talking and it'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. So that was an enjoyable listen. I, I also watched Hot Fuzz this week. After yeah, we man. Hot on the heels it. of Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, great movie. So good. Isn't it so good, man? It has the hound in it. Oh, yeah, it does. It does, doesn't yeah. it? He talks all stupid in it, right? Yarp. A yarp. I forgot that that uh-huh. was him. Holy shit. Yeah, it, uh, it is as good as I remembered. Awesome movie. I really do enjoy it. I think that that's a super, super underrated flick, too, that kind of fuses, you know, buddy cop humor with some really brutal, brutal shit out of nowhere at times. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of cool deaths. Yeah, definitely. One of which is actually very similar to one of the deaths in The Omen. Yeah, exactly. Which is pretty rad, if you ask me, man. I'll tell you, Steve, I'm glad to be sitting here and recording this this podcast with you because I've had what we call a classic shitty day. Oh, man. Had myself that classic shitty day. So, you know, for starters, woke up this morning, got a text from my mom that their, their elderly dog that has been struggling with some health issues just passed away this morning. Oh, no. Um, which is a big old bummer. Big yeah, old bummer. R.I.P. R.I.P. Gunther. Are you going to get a huge inheritance from the will? or? I mean, I think he's got a couple of bones that he had set aside for me and stuff. But That's pretty sweet. I mean, good way to remember. I got enough of my own. <laughs> That's okay. But, you know, like you could use that to buy, I don't know, buy yourself a, what do you guitarists like? Drums? We like a string or a pick. Oh, okay. There you go. A spring. Buy a spring. <laughs> so that that happened. And then, man, like, long story short, I got pulled over a couple of months ago. And Oh, that sucks. For anybody that knows me, I'm not the typical type of driver that gets pulled over a lot. Most people say that they saw their grandmother blowing by me on the highway and stuff. I am super, super slow, super careful driver. But I just happened to get pulled over on Carson Newman campus uh-huh. By some just fucking straight out of the academy shit heel bored police officer that mm-hmm. happened to notice as I drove by at, you know, five below the speed limit that the little fucking light bulb above my license plate was out. Okay. And so I was I was sentenced a court date where I can clear my name and shit. Which, you know, whatever, at least I didn't get a ticket. I just have errands yeah. to run and shit to fix. And then I found out on top of that that, like, the Jefferson County court is, like, extremely, extremely uncooperative and only does court at 6 o'clock on Thursdays, which is, like, when I'm supposed to be working and shit. Oh, Jesus. But that, that's literally the only time they do it, 6 o'clock Thursdays. That's shitty. That's yeah. real shitty. Yeah. So then that happened. I had some, some shitty car trouble and stuff, too, because I drive an old piece of shit car. Uh And, uh, yeah, yeah, just not really been a super great day, but my night was significantly better. I went to the, went to the grocery store on the way home from work and I picked up a six pack of Stone Vengeful Spirit IPA. Oh, that'll do it for you. My God, man. It is just, it is heaven in a glass. It's so fucking fantastic. Rocking your world. Yep. And then I came home and I had a quesadilla and mm-hmm. Kate and I sat down on the couch together and commiserated mm-hmm. about our shitty days and we watched yeah. Krampus. Awesome. Did I'd you never love it? seen it? I'd never seen it before. How'd you feel about it? I felt real fucking good about it. I really yeah. enjoyed it, man. It's awesome. I thought it was really fun. It kind of had a cool balance of 
corny schlocky Christmas movie with Vaseline over the lens, Hallmark uh-huh. movie kind of stuff. Yeah. Mixed with some dark humor. Uh-huh. Mixed with horror. Mixed with also just some genuine homage and love for Christmas movies. Like the scene where the yeah. grandmother has the flashback and it's like stop motion and stuff. Yeah, super awesome. And lots of practical effects and monsters. Really cool little toy like monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Krampus himself. I expected him to be like a big CGI monster, you know? Now, um, I asked my wife this the other night, but do you think there is a porn parody yet of Krampus called Krampus? <laughs> Krampus. It doesn't sound like my type of thing, but uh, I'm just saying, like, it seems pretty simple. It, perhaps there's something in there about coming down the chimney. Oh, obviously, yeah. Coming down the chimney. That's, that's, you know what? That's inappropriate at that point. <laughs> it's just a little, yeah, it's a little too on yeah. the nose. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely enjoyed that, man. And, you know, as we record this, we're kind of in the first week of the of the Christmas season. Have you watched any uh, Christmas flicks or anything yet? Man, you know what? I have not. Um, I have not gotten into the Christmas season just yet. Y'all ain't put up your Christmas bush? haven't put up my christmas bush our festivus pole is just rotting off in the distance somewhere i think you'd use oil and a shine it could and i am ready to air grievances so when this gets going it's going there's a lot of grievances to air this year it's like more than usual you know i had a question ben hit me so i started thinking about some horror movies and a movie flashed in my head that I never thought about is that a horror movie but RoboCop is RoboCop a horror movie I understand it's science fiction I understand Mm -hmm. it's a dystopian future but it seems to have some elements like when that guy gets his skin sloughed off by the toxic sludge and stuff and like even when he dies and he gets his fucking hand blown off and shit like it's really brutal yeah it seems real brutal to me i i mean i i understand you know science fiction and horror often blend together but yeah that's a really good question man that's a really good question because really i mean a lot of people count terminator as horror i i think the first one definitely is a horror movie yeah the first one definitely is so many chase scenes and so much of him just walking slowly after her and it's got that like michael myers or Jason Voorhees feel yeah, to it. Yeah, killing yeah. juggernaut relentless kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think the first one definitely has that going. I also would say that the Predator, the first Predator, it seems like a horror movie to me more than science fiction. Yeah, because I don't really feel like calling that an action movie, but I don't really feel like calling it sci-fi because so much of that movie is in, like, man's world. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there is a weird sci-fi creature out there but like the dudes who are facing off on it are like all super buff, like professional wrestler looking dudes. Yeah. And Even actual professional wrestlers. A professional yeah. wrestler, yeah. <laughs> God damn, what a fucking awesome movie Predator is, dude. <laughs> it is it's a great movie. And I, I do think it is I think it is horror more than it's yeah. science fiction. 
Oh, definitely. And all the gore and stuff, too. That's a good point, though, with RoboCop, because, you know, even the RoboCop character himself, that kind of has Frankenstein-y elements. Yeah, know? exactly. As his uh, memory sort of comes back near the end, there's also that, like, melancholy element like from uh, day of the dead with mm. bubs mm-hmm, you know yeah. where it's like you can see there might still be something in there and that's like even more horrific yeah that the yeah. zombies might be trapped inside still understanding what's happening right yeah that's very very true man i need to watch that again i i seriously don't know the last time that i watched a robocop yeah i i can't remember the last time i saw it either so Maybe we uh, maybe we should do that sometime. Yeah, that would be a fun one to cover on the show sometime. I did recently watch the Angry Video Game Nerds episode about the RoboCop games, which are pieces of shit. <laughs> yes, they were. They absolutely were. You know, on the subject of, of Krimbus movies there, we put up our, our Krimbus tree the other day. Uh-huh. And we have, we have a long-standing tradition around the house of whenever we're putting up that old tree, we like to watch... We like to watch two movies in particular. We watch the Maurice Sendak production of the Nutcracker Ballet. Have you ever seen that? No, I have not. Sounds awesome, though. Dude, it's the fucking raddest. So, you know, Maurice Sendak, who did Where the Wild Things Are and all that stuff, he designed this entire stage production of the Nutcracker. And it's in Uh participation with... I can't remember what ballet company... It's an American ballet company, I think. I can't remember which one it is. Um, Ballets are us. It's ballets are us. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) But man, it's just it's so fucking cool. And it's not just the ballet where it's just you know music and dance. Like there's some um, overdubbed narration and stuff through the whole thing. It's a really enjoyable watch. And I love the Nutcracker um, Uh music and stuff too so much. So that's always a treat. And then we put on, of course, Chris's Vacation. Awesome. That's a great way to start. It is. Does it still hold up? Fuck yeah, it does, dude. Like, year after year, it's still the best. Like, that is still the best fucking movie. Yeah, I I gotta, I gotta sit down tonight and watch something Christmassy. We're gonna be doing laundry. Might as well throw on, I don't know, maybe Home Alone, talk about Jigsaw. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Old Jigsaw and Home Alone there. I want to watch that again uh, and watch, like, Home Alone 2 and stuff. I think that... Like we mentioned before, I think the older you get, the more you're just like, God damn, Kevin is such a fucking little shithead the whole <laughs> yeah. movie. And everything about this is so outrageous. Why did it take his parents so long to figure this out? Why did it take him so long to get back? And you know what the movie really is all about? Like, you know, considering it was definitely marketed towards kids and stuff like that whenever it came out. That whole movie is all about, like, childhood fantasy redemption. Like, yeah. Grown-ups are mean to me. I'll beat them up. Yeah, you know, like, exactly. I want to be alone. I could be yeah. independent and stuff like that. Like yeah. It's all about childhood fantasy fulfillment. Yeah, the wet bandits represent as uh, all of the adults that tell him what to do. And then I guess the dude with the shovel at the end is Santa Claus? Oh, I thought <laughs> Jesus. Oh, he's Jesus. <laughs> that does make sense, because after he hits them with the shovel, he does say, Here is my body eat of it (laughs) (laughs) and kevin's like i don't know there was always a line in that movie that that puzzled me deeply it's that line there at the very end of the movie where the wet bandits are holding kevin up and uh, joe pesci is like i'm gonna cut off your cojones and boil them in motor oil yeah i don't know like if they're cut off what do you care what they're boiled in 
Yeah, exactly. Like, who cares what the medium for the boiling is? It's it, if they're separated yeah. from you, it's not going to hurt more. Yeah, boil them in motor oil while they're still attached. Now that's a that's a horse of a different color, but it's like once my cojones are off, just boil them in whatever you want to. It doesn't really Do make much of a difference. Do whatever you want with them. Sure, they're not going to get reattached. Yeah, I mean, you know, it seems like boiling oil would just be bad for the environment and then what what do you do after they're boiled do you just pour it down the sink do you just look at it that and go, seems there like it a waste yeah i mean because if you if you i mean you could just cook them up and serve them to a dog or something like after you boil them in motor oil and nobody knows <laughs> they're effectively useless after that i just don't it's, understand <laughs> it's a bad threat is the point <laughs> <laughs> i think that that was probably like the most tame thing that Pesci could cook up because apparently that was just after the filming of like Goodfellas Uh huh. and so he would apparently show up on the set and just be like rattling off 100 F-bombs a minute well, and shit like that yeah yeah so that was probably the tamest thing that he could come up with that wasn't like I'll literally murder your entire family in front of you <laughs> that's just like a little too hardcore Joe yeah it's a bit too much a bit too much yeah well we'll talk about Home Alone more extensively one day here on the show but today we oh, are here God. to talk of <laughs> yeah <laughs> today we're here to talk about one of my most favoritest horror movies the omen Ooh, uh the original boy. not the remake have you ever seen the remake i have seen the remake what do you it's, think of it uh, it's not, i mean it's dull it doesn't yeah there's not as much i guess investment from the actors it's like they're they knew like well this will be a payday I know that uh, I did see like in a making of thing that Julia Stiles like made every effort to not like talk to the the boy on set and stuff so that there was always like a tension between them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean maybe maybe there was something to that, but I remember it being very boring. I remember it being one of those ones where it's just like it's fine, but why? Like it. Yeah. It's, why is this existing? Yeah. yeah, it's not as like a shot for shot remake as like you remember that Psycho remake that's just literally shot for shot. Yeah. So why does it exist? Yeah, exactly. It's not as blatant as that. Like there are you know a few little updates and some of the gore in it is really good and some of the some of the jump scares are good like the dog attack in the cemetery. I remember that mm-hmm. actually did make me jump out of my seat a little bit. So there's a few good things about it, but I don't think it really pairs. Uh, I don't think it really holds up to the original that we're going to be talking about yeah. today. Now, Steve, the the subject matter of this film is deeply rooted in the heart of Christianity, the rich history of uh-huh. Christendom. Yeah, I have some questions about that, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's supposed to be. It's a sposter. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people, a lot of people don't like religious horror movies and stuff um some people think it's just a cheap way to to spook people and stuff but i gotta say as a person who grew up uh believing quite heavily in these things and has since come to my senses about it and decided it wasn't for me uh it's really interesting watching religious horror flicks because i don't know i think that when you grow up with something like that in your formative years Mm-hmm. It's like you never really a hundred percent shake it off, okay. And so there's some of these things that still do like creep me out, even though I don't believe in it at all. 
there's stuff about, you know, this and the exorcist and some of those other classic religious flicks that freaks me out. So I do enjoy uh-huh. me a, a religious horror film. How do you feel about a, a, a horror film with its roots in Christendom? Um, I like religious horror films for a different reason. I mm-hmm. like when they um, delve into the psychology of what happens in the Bible. Like, yeah. uh, the first film that I'm going to name in a list we're about to come up with is, yeah. is, is really about um, how much you would believe a prophet. Like, mm, yeah. that that type of horror to me is very interesting. Like, because religion to me, I grew up irreligious and then became religious and am mm-hmm. now, again, completely irreligious. Um, I I think I, I look at religion always skeptically and a bit cynically. And mm-hmm. I think the movies that I picked kind of reflect that. So, Well, how about before we get into our dissection of the movie, we... We treat our listeners to a list of our top 10 favorite, uh, you know, religious slash Christian based horror movies. Now, of course, we've seen every movie ever made. So if your favorite movie isn't on this is because we don't think it's good enough. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. (laughs) I've seen every movie ever made twice. (laughs) Today. Second time I watched it in Russian. (laughs) Show off. Mm hmm. Well, why don't you kick us off on this listomania here, Steve? All right. So the and, and these aren't in any particular order, but the first yeah, me too. I'm gonna name is Frailty. Frailty with fucking Bill Paxton, right? Goddamn right, Bill Paxton and Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. That is a sweet flick. It's been so long since yeah. I watched that. It's so goddamn good. And like the at the central issue at hand is how much would you believe someone who says they're talking to God? Yeah, yeah. How far will you go uh, to, you know, assert your faith? And and what is your faith in? Because the people in the Bible are just as likely to be crazy people who are talking bullshit out of their head as any crazy person today talking about prophecy. So, like, where does your faith lie? Yeah, I I really like that about frailty. It's a cool flick, man. And there's some really, really disturbing, really eerie. Um, but at the same time, like not entirely, you know, unbelievable stuff in that flick. Like that's one of those movies that is entirely set in reality. Like there's no angels or demons or magic yeah. or anything like that showing no. up. It's just a really fucking cool movie. Um, I do like that one a lot. That's a great choice. That's one of those ones where anytime I'm talking to somebody about horror flicks, and they're like, Frailty's one of my favorites. I'm like, okay, you probably know what you're talking about and yeah. are a real genuine horror fan. Because that one yeah. flies under the radar for a lot of people. Oh, yeah, it absolutely does. It's, uh, But it's so good and so well acted. I mean, Bill Paxton and Matthew McConaughey, it's hard to go wrong. It kind of came out in that sort of dry zone of horror flicks. Yeah, too, it was early 2000s. Nose. Early 2000s. Okay, so that's yeah. newer than I thought that it was. But still, there wasn't a lot of good stuff going on then. Yeah, there wasn't. Uh, what's your first one, Ben? I'm going to go ahead and just go ahead and get the obvious out of the way and say The Exorcist. Um, yeah, good one. Which we we covered uh, on our show many moons ago after I had watched it for the very first time. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, one thing that I don't think that I ever covered on the show, I just want to put this as an aside about The Exorcist. Uh-huh. So 
you know, again, I watched The Exorcist for the first time for our show, and I recommend you guys check out that episode because it's really I think good. what y'all man, it's a, it's a good episode, and I think what we kind of delve into basically is the movie actually isn't about Christianity. No, at, not at, at, all. at all. Actually, it's yeah. about a bunch of people that think it's about Christianity, and it's not at all. Yeah. Did I ever tell you about the crazy shit that happened after I watched The Exorcist? I don't think so. Let's hear it. Okay, so this is just really funny, crazy stuff that happened within 24 hours of us watching it, doing our episode, and then recording, uh, or, or rather the day after we recorded. So, Okay. Like, the day after I watched the movie, I went to the grocery store, and my total was $6.66. Okay. Which is just cool. I was like, all right, metal. That's pretty sick. Yeah. And then... I went into work, and at work, I'm trying to remember what it was that we were working on. I, I, I want to say that somebody brought in like a guitar that they had, and they wanted it worked on or something like this, so we were taking the guitar apart, and we like took the neck off of the guitar, uh-huh. uh, you know, took the strings off of it, took the neck off of the guitar, and stamped in the neck pocket was the serial number for that guitar, which was like 00666. Okay. And so then that night, we recorded our Exorcist episode. Uh-huh. And the next morning, I wake up, and I'm sitting here editing our episode for The Exorcist, right? And I'm editing and, and just kind of in the zone. And then I get the shit scared, scared out of me because somebody's knocking at the door. And it's a fucking priest come to preach the word of the gospel to me. God is in... <laughs> His holy temple. It was Kane from Poltergeist 2. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. I didn't think I'd ever talked about that on the show, but I had those three things happen just in a row right when we watched that movie, which is cool. But, you know, you, you can't talk about religious horror flicks and not talk about The Exorcist. That is... No. Yeah, that's like... That's like... The it's one. Not the one that started it all, I imagine. I mean, I bet if we look back, there's probably some predecessors to it but it's definitely the one one that made it that made it huge because it was a blockbuster that movie made tons of money oh yeah and i still think it is an absolutely punishing astonishing movie to watch for so many reasons so if you haven't definitely check it out what's next on your list steve well uh this one is a little more of a thinker it's kill list don't know if you've ever seen this which one is that it's uh it's a a British movie. It's directed by Ben Wheatley, I believe. And basically these two hitmen are given a list of people yes. that they're supposed to kill and I have seen this. It gets increasingly weirder and weirder and the ending will uh first off you'll have to watch it twice and you have to watch it with subtitles on. Yeah. Unless it's very you, British. Yeah, unless you live in the north of England, you probably <laughs> won't understand what they're saying. You damn red coat lobsters. Oh, man. We got them last week. Speak English. (laughs) (laughs) That's a crazy movie. That movie, like, I'll tell you, it is a true three-act movie. And basically in this flick, the first act is almost like a romantic drama. Yeah. Uh The second act is like a cool hitman movie. Yeah, and then the third it act, becomes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, shit comes off the rails. It the becomes the uh, the British Wicker Man, which I was yeah. gonna name instead of this, but I think Kill List is better than the original Wicker Man. 
not the Nicolas Cage Wicker Man, though, which is the no, best. nothing. Yeah, nothing's better than the bees. <laughs> not the bees. <laughs> and him, how many women does he punch in that movie? It's <laughs> a lot. so many women. <laughs> that is a that is a strange flick, though, man. That that kill list. I'd forgotten about yeah. that, dude. How brutal is that fucking scene where he smashes that guy's knee with the hammer? It's insane. God damn oh, it! It's God. so like. Just and and the effects all practical, the yeah. way that they smash up his knee and shit, it looks so fucking brutal. Yeah, it, it you feel like you're watching something on like Rotten.com, like it's so yeah. legit real. Was that a dated yeah. reference, Rotten.com? <laughs> yeah, no, like E bombs world, right, guys? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ogreish.com. That was another. No, one, I, think, I think Rotten.com probably still going, or you know, you could go on. Uh, you know, B on 4chan, probably see some body cut off the tip of their dick or something. I don't know. Probably so. I don't really want to very much. I always had that asshole friend that would just, like, have his laptop in his lap and be on fucking Rotten and just, like, turn the screen around and be like, hey, man, look at this. And it's, like, yeah. some guy that fucking had a grenade go off in his mouth or something awful. Yeah. Just scar you for life shit. Fucking assholes. Yeah. Thank God that exists on the internet. And, um, I never was fascinated by that kind of stuff. No, I'm... No, I um I think I read about those things. I refuse to watch them. If yeah. I, you know, I, I don't know. There was the uh, Ukrainian serial killer teenage kids who filmed their kills and posted them online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've read about all of that, but I don't want to see it. No, I can't, I think like my my visual memory is like a little too good. And yeah, it's like, exactly. I, the, I can't get it out of my head. Exactly, it would stay in my head. Like even just reading about it, like the the things, just reading the imagery itself sticks in my head. So like, I know yeah. I can't watch that sort of thing. No doubt. Yeah, Kill List has some stuff in there that's pretty damn, pretty damn close to some of that stuff. Definitely check that one out. That's yeah. kind of an under the radar flick. It's a good choice, Steve. It's a real good one. Uh, what's next on your list, Ben? I got to throw out one of my absolute favorite horror jams ever, which is The House of the Devil by Ty West. Hell yeah. We've also covered that one. We have indeed. And what I like about that movie and several of the other movies on my list here that I've got are that they go straight for Satan. Like there's so many, (laughs) you know, like there's (laughs) a lot of horror movies that that veil it behind. Oh, it's this secret underground dark cult. And it's like, it's just, it's, you know, some nameless fucking whatever god you never heard of. Or some other demon like Bagul or Volok or something. Come yeah. on, guys. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Go straight for Satan. Go straight for the big guy. Why not? If you're going <laughs> to go, if you're going to get wet, go swimming, you know? <laughs> if you're going to go get wet, go Satan. <laughs> if you're going to get wet, go Satan. I love that. Yeah. I just like it whenever movies really do go for fucking pentagrams and sacrifice and Satan yeah. and that one's fucking awesome. Like it really is just like exactly all the crazy shit that people thought in the satanic panic. Like all of that happens in that movie. Yep, exactly right. It's man. so awesome. I love yeah. it. And it's got that whole you know, it's it's a newer flick. It came out what, two thousand Nine, I 2009, think? but it feels yeah, so. like it came out in like 1980 or 81. It's yeah, it's perfectly school. 80s. Yeah, yeah, and Jocelyn Donahue's amazing in it, and uh, yeah, it's it's great. Wonderful flick. So that's one of my absolute favorite occult, uh, you know, satanic Christian kind of horror flicks. What's next on your list, Steve? 
Well, uh, I'm gonna go full Satan too and say Rosemary's Baby. Oh yes, man, that Tannis root yeah. movie. Yeah, and what I love about Rosemary's Baby is there is no Christian element to it. <laughs> like, no, there, there's no point where she's like, I need to go to a church. Yeah, she's just like, <laughs> oh, the devil's raping me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Like, uh, it's. It's one of those movies where, first off, it's directed by Roman Polanski, so there's that problem. There's that problem. Uh, I don't like that about it. I'm not, yeah, not a big fan of that part about it, but Mia Farrow's so good in it, mm. and it, it really does tell this awesome story just of a satanic cult and a woman who is uh, raped by the devil and having the the spawn of Satan. Like, yeah. It, it is, uh, I would say, in the end, like a nihilistic, hopeless sort of movie. It definitely <laughs> like, is. Now, I'm trying to remember, yeah. which came first, Rosemary's Baby or The Exorcist? God, I don't know. We'll have to get the uh, interns I, on I that feel one. Like, I feel like Rosemary's Baby may have been 67, which you would make right, it yeah. a few years before The Exorcist in 73. So. I think you're right. I think you are correct about that. But you know what I really love about... That movie plus The Exorcist, um, plus plus House of the Devil. There's something that's so cool about seeing godless characters suddenly just completely entrenched in the spiritual warfare kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. Where they, it's just like they they're not gonna turn to any spiritual element because they don't believe in it. Yeah, and they're like, "This exists. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, that, that's fucking crazy." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it's yeah, because like uh, that happens in The Exorcist perfectly, yeah. and in the end, like as we came to with uh, The Exorcist, it, it doesn't seem like Christianity is what wins out there, and in Rosemary's Baby, it's like, well, this is uh, a person she didn't do anything wrong, and God let this happen to her, so it's still like anti-religion in the end. That's very true. That is extremely, extremely brutally nihilistic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Rosemary's Baby. What, what's next on your list, Ben? All right, next one I got on my list is, again, another one of those movies where a, a heathenous, godless person... Um, uh-huh. ends so-and-so. Up, yeah, so-and-so, as they call him, just ends up completely entrenched in this shit. I'm talking about Stigmata. Oh no! I Patricia like that Arquette. Flick. It's got old yeah. Pat, Patty Arquette. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember liking it. You know, I liked it pretty well with those Dream Warriors. <laughs> I did too. I'm a Patricia Arquette fan. I mean, uh, mostly Dream Warriors, but you know, other things too. A medium and so on. <laughs> of course, medium. Everyone's favorite. Everybody's favorite show. Stigmata is cool. It's got her and Gabriel Byrne. I want to say. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, there, there's a lot of Aramaic speaking and things like that. There is, and it's like super, super, super ultra, you know, early 2000s-y. Kind of like when you watch The Matrix and you're like, God, this is millennial as fuck. Yeah, exactly. Stigmata is that same way where it's like, I'm pretty sure it opens with like soundtrack by garbage or something like that, where it's like, oh man, we are in the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Garbage is is a perfect soundtrack for the early 2000s too cuz it's I know. It doesn't it couldn't exist outside of that time. Yeah. <laughs> garbage garbage has to exist in late 90s early 2000s. Any other time everybody would be like, "You know what this sounds like? 
trash. <laughs> I like Stigmata. It's cool. It's it's just ba- basically about this atheist chick, Patricia Arquette, who suddenly receives the the wounds of Christ, the holes in the hand and the spear yeah. to the side and all that kind of stuff. And you've got this uh, this priest who's kind of trying to figure it out, but simultaneously kind of like falling in love with this heathen girl and questioning his faith and shit. I think it's a cool flick, man. Yeah, I I remember enjoying it. I I would like to see it again. It's been a while. uh, It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. Well, the next one on my list is uh, the second entry by Ty West on this list. Oh. And it is The Sacrament. Awesome. Now, that's his, his, like, cult movie, right? I've never seen it. Yeah, that's uh, the Jim Jones uh, homage POV movie. It's basically the setup is that it's a uh, film crew for Vice going to interview this uh, Christian leader who has moved uh, his flock out to this um, compound Mm -hmm. in South America, I think. Okay. But Jim Jim Jones, it was in Africa in this, it's South America, but it's so much like the actual, like Jim Jones uh, true story that what what it does for you, especially with the, the POV element, is it makes you understand the panic of what would have happened when people realized that, you know, uh, we're all committing uh, mass suicide. Jeez. And a lot of them were like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Pass. So, yeah. Like the just terror and like horrific nature of it. And um, I think overall that movie is, it keeps true to that vice, like uh, gonzo journalism format. Mm-hmm. And also serves well as a horror movie, yeah. even though it's pseudo documentary, like you know that documentary style. Uh, I I recommend it. Um, especially recommend uh, reading about Jim Jones and the true story, and realizing like, holy fuck, that wasn't that long ago, and that was insane. And those were Christians. I don't know much about the whole thing, man. Well, check it out. Uh, Jim Jones is a very interesting character, specifically. Um, He was a a communist slash socialist who believed in the uh, believed in building Zion on Earth. Look out. Yeah. Sounds like a real fun loving kind of guy. Now, is it similar to that? um, Shit, man, I'm trying to remember which one it's in. Is it in like VHS two where there's the crazy like Korean or Indonesian cult oh, thing? Oh man, that is awesome. No, it's um, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's similarities, definitely, yes, for sure. But the the similarities end at the birth of a, a demon baby. Yeah, I was gonna say probably yeah. less monsters and less exploding people and stuff like that. Yeah. God, that's a really cool segment. I know. Yeah. I, I just want to give that like honorable mention because it's only like a yeah. You know, it's on it's on VHS, so it's what like a twenty minute yeah. movie basically. Yeah. But that thing is batshit insane. I think it follows the zombie one too, which is yeah. I think the best segment on that that VHS two. Oh, is that where the guy has like a? He's basically got like a GoPro on his head and becomes a zombie. Yeah, right? yeah, and he's riding yeah. a bike and then yeah, it's cool. And then he becomes a zombie. So we got zombie GoPro. Yeah, it's really cool. It's <laughs> definitely cool, man. Well, that's a that's a good choice. I need to watch the sacrament because obviously I I love Ty West other stuff. I love the innkeepers. I love House uh, of the Devil. So I definitely need to watch that one. I think you'll really like it. It's it's really good. 
But do you think I'll like it as much as my next choice for my list? I don't know. It's another one that we've covered on Dead and Lovely podcast. I'm talking about Hell yeah. The Witch. The 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 itch. The v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-v-
crime movies, like what we were saying. Yeah. But that, that's kind of like what we were talking about before. It's like, is Silence of the Lambs a horror movie? I think it's a horror movie. Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, but, and again, those, those movies come from a particular, uh, standpoint that maybe needs to be redefined like uh they're crime thrillers but they they're not like um i mean where it's not like the fugitive like it they're horrific like they fit closer into horror than they do to you know uh the fugitive again well that's the thing is like there's all these there's all these horror movies about true life serial killers like gacy and Dahmer and stuff and those Uh are definitely horror movies it's like is it only horror if it really happened yeah like if it's a if it's a movie about a serial killer like say for instance i don't know uh that snowman movie that came out recently Mm-hmm. I'm. I don't have to see it ever to know that that's not really a horror movie. It might have some shocking images in it, but it's probably mostly about a detective trying to catch a serial killer. Yeah. Like the the horrific nature of his crimes are probably just wrapped up, and he builds a snowman with a decapitated head on it. No big <laughs> deal. But in Seven, what he does is torture. And leave behind a horrific crime scene that's like a work of art. Yeah. Uh, and so it's more akin to Maniac than it is to, uh, you know, any other crime thriller. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. And it's all based around the kills being centered around the the seven deadly sins. It's kind of like Saw, but with purpose. It is. That's exactly what it is. It's Saw, but with uh, good writing. Yeah. And, yeah. And also, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow dies in it, so that's always fun. Sick. (laughs) She died. She can't mislead anyone with her goop nonsense. (laughs) And I gotta say, old creeper diddler Kevin Spacey um, does a really amazing job. He plays the creeper. Yeah, because he's creepy as fuck. Yeah. Uh, Again, just like our conversation for vampires, like, is there room for Kevin Spacey to come back to movies to play creepy ass characters? Ugh. Because he's a creepy motherfucker and he'd probably play a creepy motherfucker better than anybody else. Probably better than just about anybody, man. Yeah, that's that's a that's a that's a hard that's a hard line to draw, I'll tell you that. Yeah. Well, Mel Gibson came back, so <laughs> he did. He came back real big. He did. It's true. So that's our list. That's that's ten. Yo, our top ten. yo, I got one mo. I got one mo. Holy shit! That was our top nine. Here's number ten. Buster Rhymes said, "Give him some mo," and I intend to follow his directions. Yeah. Okay. Well. All right. Yeah. If Busta said it. Remember when Buster Rhymes thought that the world was gonna end in the year two thousand? Did he? Yeah. He had that whole like. Uh, Shit. <laughs> Extin- that extinction level event record, ELE, that came out in like 98 or 99. Fuck. I didn't even. Okay. I didn't, all right. This is blowing my mind. Yeah, dude. Go back and listen to it. I think I've talked about how I was genuinely afraid of Y2K. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, my, my genuine fear was not like, oh, the world's going to end, but it was like, oh, like, uh, banks are going to be fucked up tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, that that was my thing too. It's like I knew I knew even then, which you know, at the age of fucking sixteen at that point. But it's like I knew that us deciding that it was the year two thousand was just a com- completely arbitrary thing. It's like it's the year two thousand from when we decided to start rating down what year it was. It's like uh, totally arbitrary. But I was with you. I was more worried about like banking programs getting fucked up and shit. 
Yeah. And even then, like, I remember the news. There was a lot of, like, scaremongering reporting, but I do remember in the news there were every once in a while somebody would say, now most banks won't be affected by this. And it was like, yeah. oh, well, all right. <laughs> but yours okay. probably will. Everyone's probably will, but most won't. Probably Busta Rhymes' bank will be affected. <laughs> Seriously, go back and listen to ELE. It's all about, like, fearing the end of the world in the year 2000. It's very silly. Wait, uh, hold on. Let me just think about that. Yaw, 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 yaw. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> you can see it now. Yeah. Well, my number one pick on my list is not Busta Rhymes-centric. It is not Halloween. Uh, Damn that? it. H2O. H2O? <laughs> it's not that one. Um, I'm, I want to talk about The Devils. Ken Russell's The Devils. Ken Russell's The Devils, which came out, uh, if I'm not mistaken, pre-Exorcist. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think it was 70 or 71. Yeah, and it was basically shelved. This is one of the most awesome, uh, super fucked up movies that hardly anybody has ever seen because it was made in Italy, and it was just basically ultra-condemned by the Vatican. It was banned in Italy. Um all kinds of crazy shit happened with this movie to where it just sat on the shelves for years and was finally released very, very, very stingily. It didn't have a wide release. I heard about mm-hmm. it because Jesse from our, our friends over at the Sailor Satan podcast told me about mm-hmm. it. And I watched it on Shudder. I don't think it's on Shudder anymore, but I watched it on Shudder a while yeah. back. You might be able to find a rip on YouTube or something like that. Well, I'm, I'm sure, but it, it also came out on uh, Blu-ray, I think. So cool. you can also find it on the Blu-rays. I would purchase it because it is a absolutely incredibly weird, amazing religious movie about... It's very strange, yeah. It is super strange. It's just basically about like a town in Italy that the, uh, that the Catholic Church is kind of wanting to take over, and they do it by defaming the main priest in this town who is also Uh like engaged in like a love affair with this girl and he's extremely popular with the ladies yeah because he's a mad hunk he's got a sick mustache and stuff Mm -hmm. it is a crazy movie that also kind of deals with that religious hysteria and paranoia and stuff that we were talking about it's got all kinds of crazy scenes of like medieval torture all this yeah. like ultra sacrilegious like um, kind of like sexualization of Jesus and stuff in it. It's like mega sacrilegious. Yeah, try try to get the uh, least cut version you can, uh, so you can see all of the insane sacrilegious shit that he was able to get in there. Yeah, it's one of those things that you'll watch that, and knowing what year it came out, you'll be absolutely stunned that they found people that agreed to be on the set of this movie because it's fucking nuts. Like, yeah. There's one scene where this, like, nun... This nun is having this, like, crazy sexual awakening, and she's, like, dreaming about the priest, and the priest is, like, on the cross as Jesus, and he, like, comes down off the cross to, like, go and bang her. It's, like, fucking yeah. crazy weird stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's definitely should be on this list because uh, it is... Of all the religious movies we've talked about, the one that I would say is the most demented, like, in its twisting of religion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And also just the most underappreciated. That's one of those flicks I oh, yeah. I, ne- I had never heard about it until Jesse told me about it. Like, I had never heard anybody talk no, about this movie. I never heard movie. of it either. And it's got this super sweet visual style that was influenced by, like, um, 
like Russian cubism and surrealism and all this other stuff, like you don't really notice it overtly, but when you start looking at like the architecture of of the church and the cathedral and stuff like this, everything has this really weird angular geometric kind of design to it that just adds this uh-huh. extra element of weirdness to everything else that's going on in the movie. It's an incredible flick. I can't recommend it enough. So definitely go and check out the devils. If you're into these crazy religious type flicks. Yeah. The devils is uh, like every one of the movies we just named is great. And I had to cut uh, a few off my list. I know you had to cut a few off your list. Like, oh yeah. Give me some honorable mentions. Uh, uh, ghoulies. Ghoulies. We've talked about. Yeah. Uh, the last exorcism though is a real good one. It's about. It is uh, also sort of documentary for. It is documentary format. It's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. About about an exorcist who is uh he is actively saying that what he does is bullshit. Yeah. And then and then he gets thrown into a situation where turns out it's not bullshit and it just goes fucking nuts. I think I'd forgotten about that. And I, th- I want to say I watched like that and Exorcism of Emily Rose like really close to each other and I forgot which was uh-huh. which. Exorcism of uh, Emily Rose is brutal cuz if you read anything about the true story you get that like it's sad. It's it's sad and uh, the trial that's going on in the movie and the way the movie makes it seem like, yeah, she probably was possessed. Like, that's bullshit. If you read the true story, she had epilepsy and some other issues and they starved her to death and she died. Yeah, it's it's really, 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 really brutal. You know, one of my honorable mentions that I got to put out there is fucking Jesus Camp, which isn't a movie. It's a documentary. Uh, yeah it's yeah it's for real yeah and it's terrifying it's terrifying yeah Yeah, it's just all about just basically young kids just being completely indoctrinated with this shit that dude you Mm. can't you can't understand this shit when you're like eight like it's so cruel to to peddle this stuff on kids like they barely even know what being alive means much less dying and paying for sin and mortality and be able it's cruel to do that to kids man well ben uh luckily we're in a post-truth world where children are being taught whatever the hell people want to teach them and we will sound like the oldest of fogies in five years (laughs) yeah it's gonna happen real fucking fast people will be like oh you just believe the earth is round yeah (laughs) oh you probably got vaccinated (laughs) yeah that explains why you're so stupid to believe in a round earth uh-huh. <laughs> you know, one more I got to mention, too, for, for my list of, of ones uh, my wife actually thought up to add to this list. It's kind of like straddles the line of, like, is it a horror movie or not? But The Devil's Advocate is incredible. It, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know that it's a horror movie, but it's it fits into this category, I think, still. Yeah. Like, I think it's still because what else is it? I know, right? Well, like it's not just a drama. It? It's not a drama exactly. Yeah, that stuff happens at the end of the movie. Where like, remember he's got that big like statue tapestry thing behind him, and yeah. it starts like moving yeah, and changing and shit. Huh? And then he goes, "Hua, more margaritas." <laughs> yeah, I'm a blind guy <laughs> driving a car. <laughs> Attica, Attica. <laughs> All of those things happen in that movie. It's true. <laughs> well, I think that was a that's a pretty solid list there, Steve. I think it's a pretty solid list. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you got if uh, you're wondering what to watch, 
over the next month. We just gave you everything you need. Yeah, there you go. You're welcome, jackasses. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good segue into the topic of our podcast today, which is going to be The Omen from 1976. <laughs> That's what I said. Jeez. It came out, obviously, Ben, it came out on June 6th. 1976. Metal. That's fucking awesome, yeah. man. Now, was this the first time that you saw this flick? No, I've seen this several times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I I remember watching this as a, a young man. Um, and it... Uh, the, the little boy never stuck in my head as specifically creepy until I got older. Yeah. Like, as a younger man, it was just like, hey, it's just some kid. But as I got older, he his facial expressions from time to time just, they, they go so counter to the event that we just saw in the music that's playing yeah. that he comes off as super creepy. Yeah, because it's like he's so calm in some of the parts that you're like, he must know what's going mm-hmm. on. Like. I see, I see exactly what you mean. It's really eerie and creepy in, in a lot of ways. Do you remember when the first time you saw this was? Uh, I think it would have been in the uh, early 90s. I remember renting this at Video West. Five Buzz. movies, five nights, five dollars. <laughs> Those were the good old days right there. Hell yeah. I remember watching this with my cousin Casey. And uh, it just being like one of those. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. That was fun. Like, yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Like, uh, again, like as a young man, I don't think the the depth of it really sunk in. Like now, watching it, I'm like, oh god! Like his wife dies. Yeah, uh, his <laughs> unborn son dies. Like his <laughs> other son had died five years ago. Like this dude goes through some shit. Yeah, a Job type level of shit, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, I think this is one of the first, like, real horror movies that I ever saw. Like, this is one of those ones that, like, probably right whenever, probably within the first year or so, whenever Kate and I started going out and I was watching movies with her family all the time. Um, this is one uh-huh. of those ones that they had watched a million times. It was like, oh, you've never seen The Omen? We've got to sit down and watch this. And that's when I was still, like, super religious, too. So, um, whenever I watched this for the first time, I was like, oh my gourd, this is so fucking crazy. Oh because, yeah, because to me, that was like realistic stuff to be afraid of. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I remember the first Satan time that I... Can do, he, that dude's got weather powers. That motherfucker will take you out. He's got <laughs> dog spies. Picture powers. Picture powers. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of crazy stuff. So I remember the first time that I watched it, I really enjoyed it. I especially remember loving the soundtrack. And I remember we watched the we watched the sequels, but I think that I've only seen two and three, I think just one time. I remember enjoying them, mm-hmm. though, but that was before I really got into a lot of horror movies. Have you seen the sequels? I've seen two and three, and I remember really liking three, but that might just be my uh, eternal man crush on Sam Neill. Okay, so he's in the third one. So the second one yeah, is about Damien. Yeah, he plays Damien in the third one. So the second one is about Damien as like kind of a teenager or something, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't really remember much anything about it, but I'm with you. I remember thinking the third one was cool because I remember Sam Neill being in it and stuff. So I don't want to say there's an Omen 4, isn't there? I think so. Yeah. And there was a Lifetime series, Damien, uh, last year for two months. So that's right. That's right. I wonder if it's any yeah, good. Yeah, it got it got terrible reviews. <laughs> what do you mean, Lifetime didn't put out something that was fucking badass? I don't know, man. I don't know. I mean, 
uh, I loved Don't Touch Me or I'll Give You Cancer and uh, Stop. My husband's beating or me Or my again. rapist will beat me. Like, I don't know. <laughs> oh, those, those are both ones. starred Ver- Valerie Bertinelli um, and Dean Cain. Yeah. <laughs> he's in a lot of that shit now, right? Because he's all super conservative and he's like, Oh, I don't get jobs because I'm conservative. You don't get jobs because you're a bad actor, dick. Go suck Kurt Cameron's dick, asshole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Me and a little flat earth Mitch Trueblood, we've always had this long going joke of how awesome it would be if one if one day Dean came, uh, Dean Kane became the dean of a school and he was Dean Dean <laughs> Kane. For some reason, that just really tickles me to think about for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why. That's... That's a real good one. <laughs> Dean Dean Kane. Dean Dean Kane. <laughs> yeah, like if you walk up to him and you're like, "Oh, Dean Kane," and he's like, "It's Dean Dean, good sir." Yeah, <laughs> Dean Dean to you, sir. No, I meant well. I meant I meant Dean as the title. Okay, all right. No, all right. <laughs> Dean Dean Kane. Yeah, all right. Oh man, dude. Now on Lifetime, didn't they also run an Unsolved Mysteries on there? Yeah, they, yeah, I think they do. So that was the baddest ass thing that they've ever done by a mile. Yeah, and there was that Lizzie Borden uh, movie with Christina Ricci, and then they turned it into a show. The movie I remember liking, okay. Mm-hmm. I never watched the show. I never saw either of those. I, I know they've probably had some good stuff on Lifetime, uh, but all I remember growing up was uh, there were every movie was about a woman beating cancer or a man beating a woman and her... <laughs> escaping that was there ever one where a man beat the cancer out of a woman i don't know i you know i that actually might be a nicholas sparks book yeah, where a, a soldier is. comes home and has to beat the cancer out of his wife dude we should start a secondary podcast where all we do is watch lifetime movies and specials 100 percent do that my my uh my friend becky who was my best man at my wedding uh we used to watch the lifetime movie network like mm-hmm. If, uh, you know, we had a chance and one time we were watching one where this guy, uh, obviously a woman with two kids guy comes in and begins molesting the kids Mm -hmm. and, uh, he, they, it was after he had molested the little girl the first time they come home from a date and the mom's like, we're getting married. And he's like. Just call me daddy, because I love your mama. <laughs> yeah, and that, yeah, it was it was gross. That's one of the grossest lines I've ever heard. That's awful, dude. That would be a great podcast. <laughs> be amazing. I, I would totally listen to that. I feel like we would need a female perspective on that, because, one, Lifetime is unabashedly aimed television at women. women. Yeah. yeah, it's television for women. That's exactly what it's called. But two, like, how how could we talk about that without the actual perspective of somebody who might be, the movie might actually be aimed at? <laughs> you know, there's this really hilarious podcast that we stumbled across one time months ago. I can't even remember for what fucking purpose we were even looking for this, but there's a podcast, and I can't remember the name of it, but I'm sure you could just Google it and find it. But there's a podcast that is these two guys, and they're just two, like, dudes like us, and they review book by book the Babysitter's Club series. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. There's also the Gilmore guys. I don't yeah, know if you've ever listened to that. Yeah, the Gilmore guys. Yeah. The Gilmore guys, yeah. 
and basically they they book by book review the babysitters club and they're just like man becky was a real bitch in this one (laughs) 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 it's pretty awesome it's pretty awesome awesome. (laughs) yeah but I, I do remember the first time that I watched The Omen, I, I did really enjoy it, and it stuck with me in, in a lot of ways. I, I have um, I've habitually named so many things in my life Damien. Um, whenever I log onto my, my computer, I have a Mac, and my computer is iDamien. <gasps> what? Yeah, my, uh, my mahogany, you know, seven-string Ibanez RG that I built several years ago. I, I named that yeah. guitar Damien. Like, oh, I've, no. I've kind of named a lot of different things in my life Damien just because this movie fascinates me for a lot of reasons. Wait, did you name both of them Damien because you were giving them a haircut and you noticed they had a birthmark? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Actually, you know what? That would be... That would be really badass. I should totally do that. So... You remember you saying a, a second ago that like that one guitar we were taking apart, like in the neck pocket, which you can't see from looking at the exterior of the guitar. You have to take the neck off to see it. It had the six 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 fucking uh, serial number. The number of the beast. I should totally take the neck off of this guitar and in the neck pocket use like a wood burning pin and put the the six spiral tattoo. Uh-huh. I should totally uh-huh. fucking do that. That's a great idea. Absolutely. Dude, next time I'm like restringing that guitar, I'll probably take mm-hmm. the neck off and specifically do that because that's fucking rad. And if anybody asks you about the guitar, just be like, I don't know. I got it from a guy uh, in Jekyll, so... <laughs> oh, man. So, this is not the first time that I watched this, but it's the first time that I've watched it in, in quite some time. And I gotta say... I still think that it holds up fucking fantastically. Now, Steve, you you had something that you wanted to say about the title of the film, with it being called The Omen. What is it that you're talking about? Well, I want to. I uh, I'm gonna try to blow your mind like I did with uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge. Yeah, who's, who's he, he getting, getting revenge, revenge on? on? Damn it! Uh, the Omen is an event that uh, uh, gives. The idea of future events, events. Yeah. it foretells future events. So what is the particular omen that the title is talking about? Is it when the <sighs> comet appeared over Europe that uh, for some reason made itself look like a star that no one had ever seen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, or maybe seen, but no one had taken a picture of. So like how, I don't know like how that worked. Was that the event? That was the omen? Or is the omen like uh, everything that happens in this movie is an omen of things to come? That's that's a good question. Yeah, because there, there are, I guess you could say there are omens throughout this movie, such as yeah. them looking at the uh-huh. photographs and seeing the lines and stuff like that. But yeah, you're right. When you put the omen singular in front of it, it makes you think that this is going to be about one big event that happens. Like that would be more like a Bugenhagen prequel would be the omen. Yeah. Like what he saw yeah. that made him know, oh, the Antichrist is coming or something like that. Yeah, unless unless like what we're supposed to recognize as the omen is an ambassador's family dying uh, over a short period of time and him being shot in a church trying to murder a small boy with religious knives <laughs> like if that's the omen that's the omen of of what is to come uh is that the world is going to stop anyone 
from preventing the rise of the Antichrist. Well, how about this? How about I fucking Missy Elliott flip it and reverse it on your ass right here and blow your mind? Finally. So what if the omen is actually this movie? Like this movie is the omen to us in the real world that this shit's coming. Like huh. let this movie serve as the omen to you. This shit's gonna happen. So yeah, and so that's why at the end, uh, Damien turns to the camera and yeah. gives us a smile. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, guess what? Trump's gonna hey. be president. <laughs> <laughs> what if? What if we noticed that's what he said? Like if the, he there had been for years, like he just moves his lips and everybody's like, what is he trying to say here? Yeah, what's going on? And you on? finally get it. Trump will be president. What if that's what? dude? What if that's what fucking is whispered at the very end of Lost in Translation? No, oh, yeah, that's definitely <laughs> what was whispered at the end of Lost in Translation. <laughs> it's been right there in front of us all along. Shit, the whole time. Yeah, that that would be a cool thing. Is like if the if the movie was actually titled that because now actually though the original title of the movie was The Birthmark, which is way less cool and creepy. Yeah, and it doesn't fit because that can't be an omen. A birthmark isn't an omen. It's not an event. So, yeah. but also in the original like poster and stuff, the original design, inside the O is the six six six. So they're like obviously pointing at the birthmark, right? As maybe what they're talking about, but it, it's not an omen. So that it's an issue. For if me. you're seeing the birthmark, <laughs> it's already too late. That's not an omen. Yeah. <laughs> this shit's already happened. There's probably like really small print under the birthmark that said, you know, objects and mirror closer than they appear. Like, <laughs> this is, it's far too late. Now, this movie was directed by old, uh, old Richard, Richard Donner. Donner. Dick Donner, he's called. Yeah, yeah he, uh, he survived the Donner party and uh, <laughs> grew up to make movies. <laughs> Richard Donner still alive. He's like 80 something, but wow. he hasn't made anything in a long time. But Richard Donner can be uh considered the father of the modern superhero movie. That's true cuz right after he did this movie, after basically he spun fucking fucking uh -huh. straw into gold. This movie had a very small budget of I think like 2 million dollars, 4 million. 4 million. Four million. Yeah. And it made a shit a ton. Bunch. Yeah, what was yeah. the number? It was like fucking 300 million or something crazy. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. But it was the fifth highest grossing movie that year. Jeez. Uh, and 76 was a big year for film, so. I'm sure I'm exaggerating. It was it was probably more like 30 million, but he, he turned no, it a small was, budget I think it was over. I think it was over 100 million for sure, but. Wow. Um, he went on. And he got the Superman gig. Yeah, yeah, in 78, he went on to direct Superman, and he is, uh, he is, He's been identified by many involved with the film as pushing to make sure the film wasn't campy, that yeah. it was taken seriously. Um, he also tried to do the same with Superman 2, and the studio didn't want to keep pushing that seriousness, and so they kicked him off, got Richard Lester, uh, director of, I believe, uh, Hard Day's Night. Oh, really? <laughs> Yeah, you got Richard Lester to come in and make it more silly, and then had Richard Lester make Superman 3, which is one of the worst superhero movies ever oh, made. Oh, Jesus. Is that the one where he's on the moon fighting the guy with the big long fingernails and stuff? Um, it's the one with Richard Pryor. I think that's it. I can't remember. Yeah. It's just fucking awful, though. Yeah, so, like, basically his idea, Richard Donner's idea, was to move away from 
the campiness of 60s Batman. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, any superhero movie before that had been in the 40s, like Captain America and stuff. And those were, uh, you know, less films. Propaganda films, sure. <laughs> and so you're you're right though. It's like he was kind of seeing the writing on the wall, you know, damn damn fifty years in the future, and being like, actually, you could take these these stories and make them serious, and people, not just kids yeah. reading fucking nickel comic books, would enjoy this stuff. He also tried to make a serious toned Batman movie starring Mel Gibson throughout the eighties. Yeah, he was trying to get that going throughout the eighties. And then his uh, production company that he and his wife owned together, uh, Lauren Schuler, has produced all of the X-Men films. Oh, wow. So those are some, yeah. some deep running connections. Yeah. So Richard Donner, uh, we have him to thank for the superhero uh, movies that we have today. I mean, obviously, some other people have taken it yeah. and run with it. Tim Burton definitely made Batman his own. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, the studio came along and did the same shit they did to Richard Donner and made them uh, campy and goofy and bad. Oh, yeah. And then again, somebody came along and made them serious. So, like, uh, there were a lot of, like, re-corrections where people had to come along and be like, no, we got to do what Richard Donner did. We got to treat him seriously because comic books have serious stories. So, like, um, but I, I think he can be credited for sure. Also, he made Goonies and Scrooged and the Lethal Weapon movies, so. A lot of good shit right there. Yeah, way to go, guy. I forgot that he did Scrooged. Mm-hmm. That's Which a is a good one. uh good Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah. Definitely scared me a lot when I was a kid. That big the, the big, you know, ghost of, of Christmas future at the uh -huh. end of the movie come through the TVs. That scared me to death when I was a kid. You man. know what? I have to admit that every version of uh the what is that? Christmas Carol story called Christmas Carol. Every version of Christmas Carol scared me as a child. Oh yeah, for one reason or another. I mean like Yeah, it, the Disney version, like the death at the end yeah. is just genuinely scary it is like, um i don't know all of them were always just like wow i don't want to live up and regret i don't want to grow up and regret shit because that seems terrible what's the one the george c scott one have you seen that oh yeah george c scott yeah i've seen that one that you, one for sure is creepy yeah like you remember when the ghost of is it the ghost of christmas it might be future. I can't remember if it's either future or past or present. Fuck, I can't uh -huh. remember. Remember, he opens up his robe and he's got those little orphan kids with like, oh yeah, want and ignorance written on their foreheads, and it's just weird oh as fuck God. out of nowhere. Yes, I do remember that, <laughs> those, and it is weird as fuck. Yeah, those are super super strange. So I'm with you. Those are definitely some movies that that did disturb me as a kinder child, as well. Now, one thing I want to talk about about Le Oman here is I want to talk a little bit about some of the characters that we have in here. We've got some characters being played by some great, uh, great actors and some people that I'd never really seen in anything else, but are still absolutely fantastic, including our little kid here, Damien, who I don't know if he ever went on to be in anything else. Did he? Uh, he went on to be in a court case where he beat up two cyclists. Holy shit. Really? Yeah, it was like last year. Dude, can you imagine <laughs> yeah. like being able to be like, yeah, I got beat up by the fucking Antichrist. <laughs> that's that's kind of worth getting beaten up. It's 
<laughs> anybody you told that to would be like, no, you're just mischaracterizing them. But no, no, this was, no. Really, no, that, Damien beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> so that kid was apparently a real piece of shit to work with on the set. Uh, everybody hated him. But then again, I mean, pretty much any, like, what is he, five or six-year-old boy? Yeah, any five-year-old, six-year-old boy. He's going to be a yeah. piece of shit. Uh, and it's funny too, cause like Dick Donner started working all kinds of like reverse psychology shit and stuff on him too, where at the end of the movie where we have the scene where he's with, you know, the president and his wife at his parents' funeral and the camera uh-huh. zooms in on him and he slowly starts to like smile. Yeah. Um, Richard Donner was apparently like right off camera talking to the kid being like don't you fucking smile he's like if you ever smile i'll never speak to you again do not smile like he was just blatantly Uh telling this kid don't or i will be so mad at you and so upset with you and that made him bust out that super mischievous fucking knowing Uh little grin i know so it's kind of cool that he was a shithead because richard donner was able to turn that around and actually make it work for the movie and I'm sure it also yeah. added some of the hysteria of his of his mom being like, I think this kid's insane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That that turns for me real quick and I I, I want to talk about like yeah. what happens that makes her suddenly think he's evil. Yeah, she def she definitely does just kind of really fast be like, I don't think this is right, which you could say you could chalk a lot of that stuff up to to a mother's intuition of you know she she knows that that's not hers and so on um Mm. that's not really explained too much in the movie and yeah and that's the thing about this movie dude is i think that i think that that angle is even intentional because richard donner apparently instructed all the actors in this movie to play it as though there was nothing supernatural going on in reality like basically play this movie as if it was a descent into madness and paranoia and suspicion but actually it was just a bunch of coincidences like he told him to play it that way yeah and well i mean she does she does play it that way for sure because he like they seem fine and happy Mm -hmm. up until the point where they're sitting in the library and he is uh playing with the balls on the snooker table and suddenly she just can't stand him yeah 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 she just can't handle that fucking noise anymore and stuff yeah and it it seems to me like as someone who didn't grow up with a nanny or uh maids or anything seems to me like she's just embracing her richness oh yeah she's just like I don't have to deal with this fucking kid because I pay people to do it. Yeah, like, yeah, definitely. I, I have trouble seeing in the way that this film shows us this that that she has started to hate him suddenly. Mm-hmm. It, it seems almost like she. I, I know that she does like have hate for him because we hear it later, but it seems up to that point like she's just suddenly becoming spoiled. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. she's just a spoiled rich person who is like, oh, I actually, yeah, I don't have to deal with my kid. 
Yep. <laughs> Someone else can. Yeah, suffering from affluenza, as the case may be, right? Oh, that's real hard to deal with. It's, <laughs> it's easier to deal with poverty than uh, being rich. Yeah, you know? I never had that problem of, of affluenza, so I, I would not know. <laughs> yeah, well, I haven't either, but I've heard tale. So we've got a very well-respected and well-known actor playing the, the, the father of the household, old Mr. Thorne there. He is one Gregory Peckery. Gregory Peckery. He was the lawyer in To Kill a Mockingbird. Maybe you've heard of him. I've heard of it. I've heard tell of it. All right. I think he does a badass job of this movie of being kind of a guy who is so entrenched and obsessed with his his political working and so on that he does kind of ignore his wife and his kid and not really notice or believe all this stuff that's going on around him. Um, which I've seen some people be like, Oh, he's a shitty father in the movie and stuff like that. But I'm like, I think that's the point. It's supposed to show you that he's so wrapped up in his own world that he's not seeing the shit going on. Yeah. He obviously isn't as tied to what's going on with his wife and stuff because like one of the first things we see with him is he walks into his uh, house in Rome where he is a, a diplomat mm-hmm. and uh, tells his wife she needs to start packing for London. And he's got this like grin on his face like, this is so cute how I'm uprooting my wife in uh, a, a matter of hours <laughs> to a different country. Yeah. And I didn't tell her in the least bit this would ever happen. Being a man is awesome. Yeah. Why would you ever talk to your wife about anything? <laughs> you just tell her what to do. Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Like, because I, I wanted to believe that, like, whenever you know she responds like happily that maybe he had told her beforehand like oh look like i'm being considered for this position etc there have been a number of interviews things like that but no it really does seem like on second viewing uh it seemed to me that she was just happy to hear that he got a promotion, but she had no idea that it was happening. I mean, even Jack Torrance talked with his fam about his, his new job opportunities and stuff. <laughs> he totally did. <laughs> now, maybe he hid his writing for a while, but maybe. eventually it got out and he was like, so do you like it? You know? <laughs> so do you like it? That's just how he said it in the movie. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And, you know, he does a lot of other things like that throughout the flick where he's just like, whatever, I'm, I'm the man and I'll just fucking deal with this myself and not talk yeah, to anybody like, about it. Oh- Oh, oh, our um, our son died uh, right, shortly after birth. I see, I see. Well, my wife's going to be real upset by that. Oh, you got a different baby? Oh, cool. Yeah, no, I'll take that. Yeah, baby's yeah. a baby. Who cares? Oh, oh, am I going to tell my wife or maybe we discuss it? No, no, no. I'm never going to tell my wife that our son died shortly after birth and that I adopted a separate baby and then gave it to her and said, here's your baby. <laughs> <laughs> I want That's to see another weird. I want to see another version of this movie where whenever they st- they tell him that you know they've got a baby that was just born and they can just give him a baby he's like all right then and he's like in there with his wife and they bring the baby in and the baby's like chinese or something he's like how do we explain this <laughs> Well, we did have that uh, mailman who was Asian, so you must have cheated on me. What? How does this work? 
he does just kind of quickly make that snap decision of like, yeah, whatever, we'll take this other baby that I don't really know anything about because whatever, fuck it, my wife wants a baby and that's that. And that's where the pandemonium begins because you find out that uh, he has been given the child of Satan, the Antichrist, Damien. His mother was a jackal. And he first receives word about this through a priest who could have been a lot more subtle um, and rational in the way that he approached him with this information because he just kind of like, he comes at him way too hot. It is the classic case yeah. of coming in too hot where he's like, you must take the blood of Christ and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, uh, so your role, yeah. buddy. Like if, if you would have sat down and talked to me about this a little more rationally, maybe I would have listened, but he kind of came in a little too strong with that crazy talking. Kind of yeah, like I, I probably would buy flex tape if that guy didn't scream. I just saw this boat in half. <laughs> too much, too hot. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, flex tape seems to work. All right, hold on a second. All right, you're getting crazy. <laughs> and along the way, we meet a bunch of other characters too, like our photographer guy who is taking these pictures of people. Uh, that have these crazy jagged lines going through them that indicates, like we said, as an omen that they that they will die. And he starts seeing a line going through his own photo and stuff. And that's cool too, because like, I mean, that's something that predated the ring by like thirty years, but the ring totally copied. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Final Destination three, oh. the only good one, I say. <laughs> that's what um, you say. It, it also uses that premise, but yeah, like the the photographs showing some sort of lines that indicate death like though that has like uh, it, it indicates that satan has some sort of power but that like he can't conceal it in photographs mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> he hasn't quite worked that one out yet if you take a photograph you can figure out satan's plan of like future attack yeah <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know how his powers work. We had a real-life instance of one of those things happen just recently. So, uh, Holy shit. Earlier this year, (laughs) well, it hasn't really happened yet, but I like to think that it is. Okay, good. (laughs) Earlier this year, we recorded, um, I I played rhythm guitar on the Andy Wood Live at the Bijou album, Mm -hmm. uh, which was a live album that we recorded. And we went through the whole process of mixing it, mastering it, sending it in to, you know, Spotify and iTunes and all these other services and stuff, right? Yeah. And we had all listened to it back to front a million times, you know, to make sure everything was just right before we sent it in to these companies and stuff for streaming. And yeah. the day that it got put up, one of us was listening to it on Spotify, and there's a song on there that's a cover of The Chain by Fleetwood Mac. Uh-huh. And, you know, at the end of the chorus, it's got that, you must never break, never break the chain, that part. Yeah. For some reason, I and I literally cannot come up with any way to explain how this happened, but for some reason on the online streaming version of the record, just like these two seconds, and it's only the vocal track. The vocal track, which on all the other versions that we listen to is totally fine. Uh-huh. For some reason on the version that ended up on Spotify, there's a line in there where where the lyric is never break the chain. Uh-huh. For like two seconds, the vocal, for some reason, and only the vocal, not the instruments too, just the vocal track, jumps down like two octaves. And it goes, never break. It sounds like a tuba or something just entered the room. And I, 
I literally have no way to explain what's going on, but I was, we were all laughing about it and joking around about it later after it got fixed. And I was like, dude, what if this is like a curse and basically like Jordan's the next one that's going to die. And then like in a couple of months, we're listening to the record and we hear like, suddenly like Andy's guitar jumps down like two octaves and it's like, no, Andy's oh, no. going to die. <laughs> gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I got two questions. Is it live at Bijou Phillips house? And number two, is Bijou Phillips house haunted? Yes. And yes. All right. Well, there's your answer. <laughs> I mean, it was recorded at the Bijou Theater in Knoxville, which is a historic yeah. haunted venue. So yeah, it's, uh, I was going to say, I believe I've heard story because I, I remember going to the Bijou and watching a back to back showing of the Dark Crystal Ooh. and Labyrinth. Oh, God damn. It was around uh, Halloween and they had someone come on stage and say that uh, the theater was haunted. I bet that just sucked tremendously seeing that. It did actually, yeah. It was really bad. Uh, so I think that, that I think that's our version of the of the Damien Omen curse in real life. But I do love how that plays out because then you've kind of got this race against time, where this photographer guy who isn't really religiously involved or really involved in any of the family's lives or anything like that, other than he's a photographer, he's kind of racing to figure this stuff out because he's got you know his own death warrant in one of his own photographs. Yeah, in a reflection. yeah, he sees. I like that they added that because otherwise it would make no sense why he would be so insistent about following this up. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, like the fact that he has a picture of himself that obviously looks like his head is cut off. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, I got to figure this out so that that doesn't happen to me. And that's that's exactly like the theme of this movie is people fighting against fate. Right. Like. At, like the way that it's presented is as though they're fighting against prophecy. Yeah. But it turns out that no matter what they do, the prophecy will be fulfilled. So they're just fighting against fate. Yeah. And that means no matter everything they do actually makes the prophecy come to pass. Yeah. Yeah, definitely so, man. Definitely so. Yeah, it's like it's it's completely inevitable. Um in so many ways, even when you get into some of the deaths and stuff like that, yeah. which is cool. Now, one of my favorite characters in the movie is uh, is the nanny that is sent from the agency. I love how she just yeah. describes Mrs. it. Mrs. Baylock. Yeah, Miss Baylock. How she's like, I'm from the agency. It's like, what the fuck agency are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, is, is it like, is this uh, John Wick world? Is the agency yeah. <laughs> connected to that like hotel for assassins? Yeah, like, that, co that um, coin or whatever and... Yeah. Um, by the way, as soon as I saw her, I was like, holy shit, because I just watched Hot Fuzz. She's in Hot Fuzz. She no plays way. Joyce Cooper. It was her final role. No shit. Yep. Who is she in that uh, movie? Who's Joyce Cooper? Joyce Cooper, she's one of the the main townsfolk that's involved in like the weird cult. Oh my god, dude. I'm gonna have to watch that yeah. again with that in mind. That is so cool. Cause she is she is absolutely incredible. In this She's movie. intense, yeah. Mm -hmm. Dude, and she has that kind of thing where, kind of like what we were saying about the way this movie was put together, where if you're watching this going, oh my God, she's a guardian of the Antichrist, then everything she does seems so sinister. But if you were watching yes. this, like if you didn't know anything about this movie and you just turned it on and you had one of the scenes with her, you'd just be like, whatever, she's just a normal nanny. She's just a nanny, yeah. She's just like a good nanny. She's obviously in touch with what's going on with the kid, etc. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, she's, she's evil. And th the best scene for her is 
the final scene for her. Where, oh my god, yes. Uh, she's fighting off, uh, what's his name, the ambassador. Like, she's fighting him, and, and she's going at it fucking tooth and nail. And that is something I noticed about this movie, too, is that there are some scenes you can tell that it's not Gregory Peck doing his stunt or yeah. whatever. But... For instance, when he's in the cemetery getting getting bitten by two dogs, yeah, that's Gregory Peck. Yeah, getting like, annihilated by him. dogs. <laughs> yeah, you can see his face. It's fucking Gregory Peck. And when she, uh, Mrs. Blaylock, is on his back, like, and they're fighting and go, like, she's like going insane on him. It's Gregory Peck. Yeah, it's this like. What the hell? That dude is a respected actor who is already at this point, I think he was in his 50s. Yeah. Maybe even later. Like, he's going insane for this little budget movie. Like, way to go, dude. Way to go at it. And it's cool, too, because apparently apparently one of the things about Gregory Peck being in this flick is, like, he had sort of semi-retired from acting by this point. Yeah. But he came back... Uh, after he was offered this role, they they say, partially uh-huh. because apparently several years earlier his son had had died and he wasn't there with his oh, son. Man. Yeah, I know. It was, it was one of those like really oh, fucked up kind of scenarios. Oh, that really adds some depth to that, like mm-hmm. him not wanting her to have the abortion and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's like that's that's a little bit fucking real right there. Well, and also just in. Look up Gregory Peck. He seemed to be a uh, general all around, real good dude. Yeah. So, way to go, Gregory Peck. Good on you. Good on you. Now, one of the first times that we see one of these omens we were talking about of the photographs is whenever we get to, um, I guess, the first death other than the off screen death yeah. of his actual child, which is when yeah. Damien's original nanny kills herself at the birthday oh party by God. hanging herself, which, dude. Yeah. I love, I love that scene so fucking much because it's just Damien's party. He's got all his other little rich, shitty kids there with him and stuff. And they have a, I guess they had like bouncy houses and shit back then. I didn't know that. Yeah. And they, they had like a, a roller coaster and stuff. It was crazy. Not like a, it wasn't like a, a real roller coaster. It was just sort of yeah. track set up with, uh, it looked like a pretty fun cart yeah. ride. Fucking rich people, dude. I know. And that Rottweiler shows up. Out of nowhere. Yeah, for the first time. Uh-huh. And just catches the original nanny's eye. And, dude, I love that scene so much where it shows their eyes locking together. And then all the soundtrack and sound effects get this weird, like, phaser or flanger on them where it just sounds all, like, squishy and psychotic. Yeah. And then she goes and climbs on the roof and fucking joyously hangs herself. I love it's how happy she you, is. It's all for you, Damien. I know. It's like, all for you. They could have yeah. played that like really creepy and stuff like that. But the way she says it, like she's so overjoyed to be killing herself for him. It's so warped. And the way her body hits the glass, it's brutal, dude. It's fucking brutal. Yeah, it really is. And um, she she has that great like innocent look to her. Yeah. And uh, by the way, that actress is Jack Palance's daughter, Holly oh. Palance, and she was the one in the original screen tests for Superman to play Lois Lane. I could see that actually. I could very well see I that. I could see that. I, yeah, uh, Margot Kidder and and she looks similar. Huh. And 
I could see that for sure. Margot Kidder, though, I will be behind forever. And maybe in the near future, we'll be talking about her in a different movie. Hey, 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 Mar hey. Margot Kidder is so good in uh, her early career. Obviously, like she had some issues later on. And we'll maybe talk about that. Not right on, too man. far from now. But um, Holly Palance, she, she has that look that obviously it seems Richard Donner likes because Lee uh, Rennick, who plays the mom, mm -hmm. also kind of looks like Margot Kidder yeah. and kind of looks like the nanny. Like, they all have this similar appearance. All them old white ladies look the same, man. That's what I've been saying for years. Now, I would love it if after the original nanny kills herself, if instead of being replaced by Miss Blaylock, if she, or Miss Baylock, if she was replaced by Fran Drescher. <laughs> As what if the she had been like seriously that would it, but if it was the same character it was just exactly. Fran Drescher playing that character <laughs> yeah okay now I'd watch that <laughs> and Gregory Peck just being like shut the fuck up <laughs> oh my god what is your voice <laughs> and there's a lot of other really fantastic deaths in this movie too I think yeah absolutely uh David Warner's uh the the guy Keith the photographer. Yeah, dude. His, yeah, his is rad. Yeah. Awesome death. The uh Father Brennan. Yeah. I love his where he's just kind of like hysterically trying to get into the church yeah. and it's getting struck by lightning and then that spire just impales him like a like a javelin. It looks so cool the way that's framed. Uh, Mark Gaddis's documentary series about horror movies, uh, they talk pretty at length about that scene. Mm -hmm. And what, what Mark Gaddis loves about that scene, I think has to really be pointed out, is how practically it's done. Right. If you pay attention to the editing, which I know you love about this movie, Absolutely. and I also love about this movie, this movie is so well edited. Extremely. If you pay attention to the editing... And if you uh, read how they did it, basically they just stuck the pole through his clothes and had a convenient angle. Like, you don't wow. even think when you see that, because it, it strikes so well because of the editing yep. and the musical sting and everything. It strikes so well. You don't even realize that just a, a slight tilt one way or the other, you'd see how fake it looks. Yeah, exactly. Because they just put it through his clothes, and it's it's hitting the ground. And it's the kind of thing where, as far as the editing goes, where if they would have, if they would have sliced off, you know, one or two more frames... It, yeah, it would have looked bad. Yeah, or if they would have left, you know, a couple frames in before what they showed, yeah, it would look exactly. fucking weird. Yeah, uh, yeah really it, masterfully it's so edited. perfectly well done. And yeah. same with the decapitation death in this, too, which is probably the most oh, well-known yeah. one in there. They show from three different angles, and yeah. even though the head obviously has fake qualities to it, it looks good. It looks fucking awesome. The cool thing is, too, is that actor got to keep his own fake severed head after the filming yeah. of the movie, right? Yeah, and David Warner is he's awesome. Like I'm sure if you see this movie, you'll see the photographer and be like, "Oh, I recognize him from a ton of stuff." Oh yeah. He's in a ton of stuff. Uh not the least of which is that episode of Doctor Who when uh with Matt Smith Smith and Jenna Coleman in a Russian submarine and he is listening to Duran Duran's Hungry Like the Wolf. Oh shit. On his Walkman. Damn, yeah. that's a that's a pretty deep pull right there, Steve. That's 
<laughs> I love Doctor Who. Yeah. Here's a follow-up about that severed head. So he got to keep his severed head, but then he later lost it in a divorce to his ex-wife. She wanted it, and she got it instead, <laughs> which is a cold-blooded fucking thing to do. <laughs> That's so funny. I know. It's pretty why badass. Would you want, why would you want a, a very realistic resemblance? Well, I guess... I could think of a few cause reasons. Cause, yeah. yeah, you can just <laughs> pretend it, your husband was dead. Yeah, okay. That's a, that's a stone-cold bitch right there. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I like that scene, too. They said that um, part of the reason with that particular decapitation scene, why they filmed a lot of that in slow motion and why they show uh-huh. it from several different angles and stuff. They said the original intent was that they figured that people in the theaters would be like covering their eyes to not see it. Oh yeah. They wanted you whenever you took your, they your wanted hands away. You to fucking have to <laughs> yeah, see it. Exactly. It's like, yeah. well, fuck you. You're going to see it anyway. Uh, which I think is a really good <laughs> twisted kind of thing to do in the flick. Well, that would make sense, too, because, like, the first shot is the one that looks the most fake. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, again, the way that the head comes off and the way it flops around looks great. Yeah. But the head itself has a little, like, the skin doesn't look quite right. But Mm -hmm. you only notice it in that first shot. Yep. So, yeah. Your eyes are going to be closed and stuff. Yeah, so the other ones, it looks way more real. Did you notice whenever the the big plate of glass that, that cuts his head off whenever it like flies through that cafe. Did you notice it knocks over that rack with all those cups full of like red wine? No. So it's a, that's like a subtle psychological thing. Cause actually if you go back and watch that scene, there's, there's no blood, there's no like spray oh, of blood wow. or anything. Yeah. Okay. Cause they couldn't show that. Yeah. Uh, that would get them, you know, an X rating or something back then. So basically they had the, the pane of glass hit, all these cups of wine that shatter and like red wine goes everywhere. And it's like, it has the effect of in your head, you think back at it as being gory, but it's actually not at all. Yeah, it really isn't now that I'm thinking about it. I mean, obviously the side of a decapitated head is uh, a bit of gore, but when someone gets decapitated, it would be a fountain of blood. (laughs) Yeah. And that is not, that doesn't happen. So yeah. It's pretty cool stuff, man. It's really restrained. Yeah, it's it's restrained, but like it's it's so dark still. Like one of the kills is an unborn baby being killed. Yeah. Like one of the, Metal. I mean like despite like no matter what your view is on abortion, I'm uh, p- pro choice. I would even say pro abortion. We need more of them. But um <laughs> too many damn people here. Too many goddamn people. But um when someone doesn't want the baby gone and someone else causes that baby to die, uh, or I guess the fetus is the best way to say that. Mm-hmm. If someone else causes that fetus to die, it, it is a, it is a trauma. It is a real, like it, it's a murder in mm-hmm. a sense. Mm-hmm. So when the person who is causing that baby to die is a five-year-old on a tricycle who obviously did it with intent. Yeah. That's fucked up. It doesn't matter that there's not gore and blood everywhere because what just happened, the event that just happened is more depraved than any amount of blood you could see. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like the the, the scenario itself is more fucked up than any amount of blood and guts on scene. Now, here's another cool thing for you, too, about the way that this is made and, again, some of the editing choices and stuff. So you know that scene where 
she falls off the balcony and the camera kind of stays with her as she's falling and it looks yes. like it looks weird and you're like how how did they do that it's like when you watch the yeah. the spinning room scene in elm street the first time and you're like yeah yeah uh-huh. what the fuck so do you know how they did that no i that, i'm glad you're saying this because i i remember thinking this and i i wanted to ask if you if you had known okay so what they did and it's one of those things that is so dumb that you'll be like god damn i can't believe i didn't think of that they had uh-huh. they had a big old blank wall right they okay. decorated that wall to look like the floor. So they had like chairs bolted to it and potted plants bolted to it and shit like that, right? Uh-huh. They had a camera on a dolly and her standing on a dolly and just basically drove her into the wall. Holy shit. Isn't that sick? Yeah, so that's why it, it could go so slow cuz I mean uh-huh. the way she like turns herself and stuff. Yeah. But also look Wow. I mean, they could have dropped a camera or dropped the actress. I mean, they literally just drove her into a wall. There is definitely, like, when when they're in the graveyard later, they're definitely in front of, like, some painted scenery. Sure. But there are a couple of other scenes, and one that maybe has something similar going on. When they first show up to the monastery, Mm -hmm. and they're looking for Father Stiletto, um, or Spiletto. I can't remember if it's stiletto or spiletto. Yeah. But um, when they they come, they park and they get out and they're looking at it. If you pay attention, it looks we. It's got like this Escher sort of quality to it because mm. the angles don't seem to line up. It looks like they're, I, I don't know, like what they're looking at is definitely not a painting. It's real, but it looks like they combined two shots at a weird sort of angle. I didn't notice that. That's cool. Go back and look at that because like. The way that I and I will definitely take a screenshot of it and include it on our Instagram feed, but like the way that it looks, it looks like they're looking down a hill, but what they're looking at is like directly in front of them. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, that's gotta be like disorienting. I didn't I can't believe I didn't notice that. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah, and I think maybe maybe it would be something similar, like where they were just trying to give that disorienting feel, feeling where that that is more of a practical thing because you can't just drop her 10 feet but also like you want it to have that dramatic slow motion movement mm-hmm. yep yeah and it seems surreal and like weird when it happens too yeah i i had the real problem with it though that like even though that uh she was maybe 12 feet up if she had just uh, dropped down onto her feet, she'd probably have been fine. Yeah, it wasn't really that <laughs> far up. It's like, come on, no. just try to right yourself midair. It's not You're that like, hard. She's like five foot something. She was holding at the bottom of the 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 little banister thing, so she probably maybe seven feet from the floor. She'd be all right. I've seen I've seen mankind take falls. I mean, fucking three it, times farther feet. than that. <laughs> <laughs> that motherfucker fell through the announce table. He fell on some thumbtacks. His tooth got jammed up through his sinus. Yeah, exactly. He didn't die. He didn't die. <laughs> no. He looked like he was in ecstasy, in yeah. fact. He was, was kind of stoked crazy. about it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's all kinds of other instances of crazy stuff that they use to achieve some of the shots in here, too. So one of the, one of the really noteworthy scenes in the flick is where they're taking Damien through that, like, zoo or like uh it's like an yeah, animal it's, preserve kind of thing yeah and it's just his mom he and his mom which is one of the indications like throughout this that like 
they seem to have a loving family. They seem to really like each other, and then things sort of switch all of a sudden. Yeah. But, like, in this scene, she seems to be A-OK and fine with him. Like, if she really was this type of person who just didn't want to have to deal with her son if he has problems, why wouldn't the nanny be with them? It's just the two of them right. going through this drive-through zoo. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. what well, you were saying about the shot. So, you know you know when those, um, fuck, what are they? Are they baboons? Yeah, baboons. Uh-huh. When red the baboons, ass baboons. Yeah, with their big dumb red asses. Whenever they start going nuts and, like, flipping out and, like, screaming and beating on the car and stuff... Yeah. So they were really doing that. Do you know how they got him to do it? Oh no! How? So, <laughs> this is one That's of those. That's dangerous things. already, by the way. Oh, Baboon's dude. very strong. Well, yeah, exactly. Now check this out. So how they got them to react that way? This is one of those things, dude. That like never in a million fucking years could you do this on a movie set these days, especially with yeah. you know a well, big name actress and a child in a car. So uh-huh. how they got the baboons to flip out is <laughs> the filmmakers took the alpha baboon from the from the pack. Uh-huh. And they knocked him out and drugged him and put him in the car and started driving off. <laughs> so, what the fuck? Yeah, for real. That's how they got the baboons to flip out and go nuts, is because they kidnapped their leader. And in case, <laughs> in case anyone's listening and they're like, I don't see what the problem is, that would be like and I, you know, no matter what you think about the current president, he's he's an ass. Yeah. But that would be like if somebody showed up at a press conference and just <laughs> drugged him and walked out with him. Yeah, you'd be beaten on People that car People would be too. like, "What the fuck is happening?" Well, and then too, like this is one of those things that kind of gets into that that Friedkin level of shit that they did on The Exorcist, where they just let uh-huh. shit go crazy just to get yeah. a good performance. So. Okay, so while they were filming that, they had this drugged alpha baboon in the car with them. And, um, you know, as they're driving along, the other baboons are beating on the car and screaming and stuff. And then um, the mom, she starts like kind of like going hysterical and screaming and shit, right? Yeah. That's because the alpha baboon started waking up and was like pulling her hair from behind the car seat. God damn. <laughs> I mean, that thing is, that what? thing could kill you. That could rip your fucking face off. It's happened. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. A baboon <laughs> could take her out. Yeah. What the fuck? And she has nowhere to escape to because no. there are baboons outside <laughs> screeching exactly. for their president. <laughs> it's a real lose lose. I bet there were like about half of the baboons were all. Off to the side like not my president <laughs> not my alpha <laughs> <laughs> oh shit man but yeah it's like shit like that you just cannot do that would never happen on a movie set these days but you well, watch uh, yeah, it thank and it's god so, yeah thank god for that <laughs> but you watch it and it's so fucking good man yeah no it comes across as uh she seems very frightened i mean you've heard of guerrilla filmmaking but have you ever heard of baboon filmmaking Uh, Uh, um that actually explains uh, because like that that is exactly what i was saying about this scene is that she seems concerned about the kid she probably fucking is because there's a baboon in the back (laughs) yeah it's like that baboon's gonna fucking kill this child and whether she's concerned about the kid or not, of course he's going to jump in her lap and try to hide. Yeah. Because he's a fucking kid. Yeah. What? <laughs> There's a baboon in the back. 
who's like waking up from drugs. Yeah. Yeah, this will go great. <laughs> now, Steve, you told me before we started that you had some ideas about this movie having some parallels to one of our favorite flicks, which stars, you know, Damien himself in it, Sam Neill, uh, In the Mouth in of the Madness. In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. Hell fucking yeah. Uh, Sam Neill plays Damien in The Omen 3. Mm-hmm. And I... Those two movies aren't separated by too much in the Mouth of Madness and Omen Three, but mm-hmm. I imagine Sam Neill had done other stuff, but I imagine it did have some impact on why John Carpenter hired him. But the thing that really sticks out to me is there's a thematic element that I'll talk about in a little bit, but one particular scene that is obviously related to the Omen, and that is. In the Omen, um, uh, the ambassador and the photographer, uh, I can't remember the photographer's name. It's David Warner. The actor's name is David Warner. Um, The photographer takes him to Father Brennan's apartment, which is uh, all of the windows are blacked out. Everything is covered in newspaper, and there are crosses everywhere. Yeah, the Bible pages, actually. It's covered in Bible pages. Yeah, covered in Bible pages. That's right. It's cool. Crosses everywhere. Okay, so one of the first scenes in In the Mouth of Madness is David Warner playing a doctor going oh, to see Sam Neill in his uh, rubber room when he walks in. The room has been covered in crosses by Sam Neill with a black crayon. Holy cow, covered by Damien himself. By Damien himself. Damien himself is afraid of what's coming. Dude, that's sick. I didn't think about that. But the bigger thematic element that I think is going on is that in this movie, the ambassador is given a prophecy and everything he tries to do to stop that from happening makes it happen. Right. Which is exactly what happens in In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah. In the Mouth of Madness, the prophecy is the the novel, the book by Sutter Kane, and everything that uh, Sam Neill's character tries to do to stop the, the book from coming to light actually makes it come to light. So, right, yeah, he's kind of a, a rat in a maze. Yeah, there's a larger thematic connection, and I think uh, I, I want to rewatch In the Mouth of Madness now and see how much of it is connected back to The Omen because the uh, the thing that really caught my eye immediately that made me think In the Mouth of Madness is when they're going to that wedding and they're driving up toward that church. Yeah. The sh- first shots of the church are exactly like the shots of the church in In the Mouth of Madness, right, where it seems yeah. to be out in this desolate area where nothing else is connected to it, and it's just this big, imposing structure yeah, out in the middle of nothing. That, like, Russian uh, Orthodox Church or whatever, right? Yeah. So, uh, like, I think John Carpenter took a lot from the omen in making In the Mouth of Madness, but he took it in a Lovecraftian direction, which, in a little bit, I'm going to argue is definitely what is going on here wow this this is not a christian movie at all Ooh, i like where that's going yeah so but let's let's talk before that though like what we do need to get out the general basic idea of this story just in case anybody listening up to this point is like what what the hell's happening (laughs) this is a podcast i'm uncle this is okay 
Okay, so that's Ben. I'm Steve. We talk and we record it. We expect <laughs> that people want to hear it for some reason, and they do. I don't know if they're tinnitus sufferers or horror movie fans. If you're a tinnitus sufferer, though, uh, tell your friends about us, because we not only talk incessantly, but there's also music going underneath us right now. Uh, really helps the tinnitus. Very little dead time. Very little dead time. Very little dead time. Except for, like, at the end of every episode where me and Steve just go, ee! Oh, yeah, but you won't notice that. Yeah, I'm um, used to that. <laughs> but so basically, the idea of this movie is that a uh, the, this ambassador and his wife, uh, the wife is pregnant. She gives birth to the baby. The baby dies. What happens is, in fact, this satanic cult kills the baby to then get the these people to adopt the child of Satan, who mm-hmm. was born of a jackal and Satan. And they want them specifically to adopt because they're in the world of politics where this kid can rise yeah. to power. Yeah, so they want him to be, have an in into the world of politics, American politics, which in the 70s were the only politics that mattered. Um, uh, Mrs. Baylock comes along. She is basically his protector from the satanic cult. She helps to protect him. The ambassador is told you have to kill him. He's the child of Satan. The ambassador gets these six knives from a secret location. From Bugenhagen. From Bugenhagen. And he is supposed to kill his son, but then he gets killed by the police and his son gets adopted by another political family. Police the police, am I right? It's caught on tape. Exactly. <laughs> um, what what the the underpinnings of this story are is that there is a Satan for sure. Sure. Satan can create a human child without having sex with a human person. Okay. Yeah. Because he does it by having sex with a jackal. Apparently. So um, Satan also has powers. They involve uh, manipulating the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, he can control Dobermans. Yeah, apparently mm, Rotties. Yep, Rottweilers. Sorry, yeah, Rottweilers, not Dobermans. German dogs um, all look the same, dude. They're all just brown and black dogs. <sighs> that is true, but I feel racist saying it. I know. Um, <laughs> they started it. They did. That's true. <laughs> so uh, he also can apparently uh, manipulate. Damien into getting him to want particular things because Damien wanting things kind of makes them happen. Mm-hmm, yeah. Uh, so Satan has those powers. The church has these powers. N- none whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. There. Now that you point that out, there is nothing in this movie of of God intervening and stopping fucking anything from happening. So, uh, the first priest that we meet is, uh, the priest that convinces the ambassador to adopt Damien. Yeah. The so second he's in priest, on it, obviously. Yeah. The second priest we meet is Father Brennan. That first priest is Father Spileto, who is the one, I guess, we meet later who was burned on half his body. Oh, okay. Right? Like, is that the same guy? I, I hadn't thought about that. I think so. I'm not positive. Anyway, uh, but Father Brennan, he's the one who keeps telling the ambassador, you know, you, you got to deal with your son, etc. But then when he dies, and then they do, they're doing like an autopsy. There's a there's a birthmark on him. That's the six 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 birthmark. 
Yeah, the same one Damien has. Yeah, so is he like... Was he a son of Satan? Like, is he a child of Satan who, like, rejected the the call and, like, tried to be a good priest? Right. Or was he also, like... Was he also a part of trying to take down... Like, in telling the ambassador the prophecy, was he actually making it happen? I know. Yeah, That that is an area of the movie that I do think is very very interesting and kind of mysterious and isn't really explored very much. Yeah, because if he had the birthmark, was he also supposed to be the Antichrist before Damien? And maybe him becoming a priest is him, you know, realizing, oh shit, I'm the Antichrist. I got to reject this and go the opposite direction. But he causes it to happen at the end of the day, so... Yeah, like, and he obviously had issues, like, when they go into his apartment, as we said before, it's all like crazy and uh he seemed to be maybe an alcoholic or something like yeah. there there were issues for him yeah yeah that, that's a real mysterious thing father spiletto or still i think it's spiletto because if spiletto, it is yeah. still if it is stiletto then that's just like obviously he's a dirt bag <laughs> he's got a switchblade uh um anyway like father spiletto he seems to legitimately have like because they said that he has rejected christ or whatever yeah like he seems to have done that in response to the fire and like realizing what he had done so it's like was he did he know that he was forcing the son of the devil onto these people or like yeah i know did he realize did he realize afterward like oh shit i've because he thought he was doing the right thing maybe and he had been given the wrong information and then maybe he was just like oh shit i've just caused this to happen myself yeah but also knowing what he knows now it's hard for him to believe in christ like so that that's interesting to me is that he's this priest he realizes he's done wrong Mm -hmm. but even in realizing that he still rejects christ so it seems like in this movie like jesus doesn't have anything to do with it right yeah exactly exactly (laughs) and and again there's no intervention or anything like that the whole time it seems like you know satan has dominion over this world entirely the one instance where it seems like someone might be like seeking the the shelter of Christ is Father Brennan Brennan running to the the church to try to get shelter. He can't get in, and then a piece of the church kills him. Yeah, yeah, a piece of the church itself. Yeah, <laughs> it's like Satan being like, "Yeah, I own this too. Fuck you." Yeah. So like, yeah, it seems like there's no real escape. That's a good point. Yeah, and again, that kind of does have that just like trapped in a maze, I'm fate's bitch kind of feeling, doesn't it? It really does. And like even when he gets the knives and stuff, it seems pretty clear how is he going to do this? Mm -hmm. Like he's not a murderer. Yeah. Uh, And even if he could do it, we know as he like heads toward the church to do it we know he's not gonna have time to do it because the cops are right behind him right yeah exactly exactly so it seems it seems like he's on a a fool's errand there's no way he's gonna succeed and you know too in addition to all these cool story points you're talking about and all the amazing uh performances and stuff and the incredible editing in this flick i gotta point out that I find one of the main stars of this movie to be Jerry Goldsmith's soundtrack 
uh, yeah. that he composed for this flick because it is absolutely bonkers perfect. It is so. Oh, oh man, Baby dude. Moose. It is all of these. And like, you know, all that Ave Satana, like all the Hail mm-hmm. Satan stuff sung yeah. by the choirs. God damn, it is so perfectly evil and ominous and. But at the same time, not too on the nose. Because it's like, if it was a big choir of people being like, Hail Satan, then you'd be like, okay, this is really fucking corny. But they're singing in Latin, so it's Ave Satana. And it's like, it, it doesn't really sound that intimidating until you know what it means. And it's terrifying. I think so much of what makes this movie scary is the soundtrack. The soundtrack to this movie terrifies yeah, me. Yeah, it, uh, it adds that sense of uh, just mystery and ancientness like yeah. the, the fact that they're singing latin adds this ancient quality to what's going on oh yeah so you feel like there's this deep history but you're only getting a small portion of it and so like it, that is a great way to keep an audience interested for sure where we feel like we want to know more like we know there has to be more about it and so we're trying to suck up everything we can. It's a real way to keep people absorbed throughout. Well, and what's so wonderful about it, too, is it brings a particularly, you know, when you're dealing with those, those uh, the choir arrangements and stuff that he did, there's something that is particularly warped about it. Because whenever you hear a choir singing, at least in the Western world, whenever you hear a, a choir, you immediately think of church and Christendom and so on. And there's something so warped about hearing a beautiful, majestic choir singing Hail Satan. It's so <laughs> it's it's completely warped and backwards, which is awesome. Yeah, it and, is. and even like Ghost took advantage of that. Like, do you have their second record, oh, Meliora? Yeah. 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 They've yeah, got I that, see what you're saying. that Osmodius, Satanus, uh-huh. Lucifer, like choir thing at the front of uh that's year zero, I think. And uh-huh. that's part of why I like Ghost so much. Like so much of Ghost stuff to me reminds me of shit from The Omen, in particular those choir ranges and stuff. The soundtrack to this movie, dude, I, I can't stress it enough. Like there's a few movies where I feel like the soundtrack is one of the more terrifying elements of the movie. Uh, the Shining is a prime example of that. Yeah. The, the soundtrack to that movie, like, if I was alone listening to that soundtrack, I would just need to fucking leave. Um, freaks me out. It freaks me out very bad. And the soundtrack to this movie is like that for me, too, where it is unnerving and just seems unholy and sacrilegious. And uh, it's so fucking good, man. I, I can't yeah, say enough. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I I think you're, you're right, too, that it... It stitches everything together because yeah. I would say I would have more problems with this film were it not for the soundtrack because the soundtrack adds the gravity to each scene that I think is kind of missing in the script. Yeah. I I feel like the actors do well, but I, I don't think the script gives us enough to make us care about... Our main characters. I got gotcha. you. Because like, I, I don't, I don't care much about Kathy, the 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 mom slash wife. Mm-hmm. I I kind of care about the ambassador by the end, but it's mostly because I I care about his mission. Like, if there is an Antichrist rising, I want him to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> but but like he's done nothing to make me like him. So, uh. 
I feel like there, there's some unlikability here, but because of the depth added by the soundtrack, it it makes it feel more like, well, just keep paying attention because there's so much going on here and there's so much you need to understand. Yeah. Uh, so you don't care that... I can't think of a single likable character in this, I guess, honestly. I think that's that's a very fair critique of this movie. And it's one of those things, too, dude, where this flick is so very of that time period where yeah. you had these ultra paternal households where, as we've said, dad calls all the shots and stuff and dad doesn't really have yeah. much to do with his family. And that's just how it was because dad was working and stuff. And, you know, mom's concerns and stuff like this weren't really dealt with that much because she was a woman. She was hysterical, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. I think that it's hard to relate to this movie these days because the world today, it, well, I'm not going to say entirely, but for a lot of the world today, <laughs> it's very different than that. <laughs> it's kind of different than that. Yeah, um, it's very kind of different. Very almost kind of different. The, <laughs> Sometimes. The the way that this film treats uh Kathy, the mom, is is interesting because it 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 can't be said to treat her well. Like no. it's it's not it's not like she's a strong character, but at the same time, it shows us the undergirdings of why she's not a strong character she thinks that the baby's not hers and that the baby is evil mm -hmm. and she's she's right um she goes to a psychiatrist to tell him this he doesn't believe her but believes that there's obviously something wrong because she thinks this right but yeah. she he doesn't believe her though nobody he wants still to believe thinks her, yeah. it's it's a fantasy everything's a fantasy so like she is treated as though anything she sees, hears, thinks, etc., is suspect, which is exactly the way women are treated in a, a patriarchal sort of order that everything they say is suspect because, like, you know, they got those little tiny women minds. But, you know, maybe maybe that makes this movie a very secretly pro-woman yeah, movie. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that yeah. because this movie shows that that's what's happening and then also gives us mrs blaylock who i i she takes her orders from satan who i guess we could say is a man but there's no indication that satan is a man or a woman just yeah. a force uh mrs blaylock she asserts herself with the ambassador she uh fights him physically later yeah. and holds her own like, I think that the relationship toward women in this can seem immediately bad, but when you think about it a little bit, it's like, well, no, this is showing the world that women had to live in at that time and showing women doing the best they can with it. Yeah, exactly. And, and like you said, the mom being right about it all along. Yeah, she's not, yeah, she's not crazy. No. Everyone else is crazy. She... Yeah is the only one who knows what's happening yeah i know what you mean like whenever i watched this movie the other night i was very aware of just like wow women don't really have much to do in this movie but then you're yeah, right as we're, as we're sitting here talking about it it's like you have the mom who was right all along and nobody would fucking listen to her and it's like you know what happens when you let men 
run everything and don't listen to the women, you get the fucking Antichrist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. When you let a man go unchecked trying to preserve his wife's feelings, he would rather give her the son of Satan than just tell her, uh, the kid died. Like, yeah. Our, our son died and we're going to have to grieve together and it's going to be really hard. Which, you know, that in itself could actually be a very strong critique of the church because... Yes. Like for for example, like you know, here in here in in, in my county in Tennessee, one of the churches uh, that my in-laws go to just recently got a woman preacher. Say what? Does she wear pants? She she's a pant-wearing voting woman preacher. Oh, she gets up there and man. preaches while she votes. Wow. Does she drive and preach and vote at the same time? <laughs> no, no, no. Just pick two. Just choose two. Don't be greedy. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> but, you know, it's like as a result of that, the Southern Baptist Convention disowned them and is like, we don't want to have anything to do with you. <laughs> and, and you know, I, I don't really have to stretch this line of thought very far, but it's like, hey, look what happens in the Catholic Church when you let a whole bunch of men run everything. You get them fucking molesting a bunch of kids and doing all kinds of fucked up shit. So maybe you listen to the women every now and then. Yeah, maybe. Every once in a while, just... Let a, a a woman be a human for a second and just <laughs> listen to the words coming from her and maybe treat them as though they were equal to your own. Yeah. I mean, maybe th- maybe that is maybe that's one of the intents of this. And whether it's the intent or not, you can kind of look at it that way. Um, yeah. As far as, you know, not not listening and acknowledging women being the start of major league catastrophe on the yeah. religious and global scale of things. So maybe that's actually something that's hidden in this movie. I don't know. That well, uh I know for sure Gregory Peck himself had uh some major issues. He was a Catholic, but he had some major issues with the Catholic Church and uh two that he named were their stance on abortion and uh the ordination of women. Oh wow. So like at the very least, from him, there was an undercurrent of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah, there might be something to that for sure, that all the people making the decisions in this are men, and they're making all the wrong decisions. For sure. That's cool, man. That's cool. Well, Steve, I think I've blabbed about this movie about yeah. about all that <laughs> I can, man. I really do think that it's... It's fucking cool if you're if you're a horror movie fan. I think that it is an an absolute must watch. What are your final kind of opinions and rating of this flick, Steve? Okay, well, when I started to see this movie as um, uh, not Christian, yeah, what, like it has the veneer of Christianity pulled over it. But when I started to realize, like, oh well, that's a veneer. It, it's not played out in the movie. I mean, even when the priest, Father Brennan, uh, starts to quote scripture, he quotes the book of Revelations, Mm -hmm. which anyone who uh, has ever taken any class on the New Testament would tell you it's the book of Revelation, not Revelations. Uh, (laughs) you, You could never become a Catholic priest and still call it the book of Revelations, which makes me believe like... He probably used his mystical uh, devil powers to get into the church and to use it as a way to protect himself from his father, who is Satan. Um, In the movie itself, in the end, it quotes the book of Revelation and says the book of Revelation. But he specifically says the book of Revelations, Hmm. which I, I have to believe was intentional. 
Yeah. Cool. I, I think that understanding the the fact that this is about Satan's power and about the church's lack of power and how that um the prophecies about this son of Satan are all inevitable. It's all fate and it's mm-hmm. all going to happen. It really adds to the horror of this and really makes me understand why this movie really gets under people's skin. Yeah. Uh, outside of the fact that there's a creepy kid. <laughs> a creepy kid will get under anybody's skin. But um, there, there's so much going on here. The music, uh, the directing, the editing, it's all done well. The acting is great, etc. I I really like this movie. And uh, I, if I'm going to give it a, a out of 10 rating, I have to say it, it's an... A nine for sure. Yeah, I'm on board with that, man. I, I I totally back that sentiment. And you know, the like I said, the subject matter of this movie just sort of grabbed me immediately because when I saw it, I was still very much a believer in stuff and and terrified of the consequence of the Antichrist and all this other stuff. And when I watch it now, I still feel just that that you know. Uh, lizard brain shudder of fear over such things. It's like, like I said, I just never really shake it a hundred percent considering that's how I grew up. Um, so I love it for the subject matter. And like I said, the soundtrack and editing to me are the stars of this flick. There's so much fantastic, clever editing, filmmaking tricks, soundtrack stuff that enhances everything. And I know what you mean, man, as far as there not being a lot of like, likable characters in this flick but i just really think that that lends a sense of realism to the whole thing it's like me as a normal dude how in the fuck could i relate to these super high level national ambassadors (laughs) that are rich as fuck just waspy as fuck it's like homeboys with the president yeah exactly it's like you're not gonna relate to those people man it's like it's not supposed to be relatable um if they made if they made them you know, fucking, you know, if instead of Gregory Peck, that was fucking Tom Hanks and they were the All-American family. It's like, that just would not be realistic at all. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> so I think the fact that they are kind of distant and unrelatable to us common people, yeah, it doesn't make it a, a, a more fun watch, but it does make it more believable. So I'm, I'm okay with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's so much great stuff in this movie where there are a few... There are a few jump scares that I think are very well placed. Like I love my favorite one is whenever he's just cut the Damien's hair and he finds the birthmark and it's doing that slow zoom in on Gregory Peck's face. And that's when Miss Baylock like screams bloody yeah. murder and jumps on his back. <laughs> God damn. Like that made me jump just watching that the other night, even though I've seen this a hundred times. It's so good. But then there's also too just that you know that that tension and that creepy atmosphere that so many other horror flicks from this era, like The Shining, The Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, that that claustrophobia, that just sense of something bad is going to happen, um, that I find to be far scarier than any number of, of jump scares anybody can shove into a movie. Uh, I think this movie builds that atmosphere really, really well. Um, I love it, man. I really, really do. I can't really find... Too much to complain about. It's a pretty long movie. It's like an hour 50 or so. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think, yeah, hour 50, maybe an hour 48. Yeah. It, it's somewhere around there, yeah. Maybe it could have been trimmed a little bit. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think maybe a couple. Maybe not full scenes, but there are, there are a number of uh, just sort of, like, especially when they're at the zoo. Maybe yeah. there's some moments that could have been cut out. I guess yeah, totally. I, I get what they were going for. They were trying to establish this nice, like, family outing thing, but, like, you know, maybe some of that could have been cut and, and some other elements that were just a little slow. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is, you know, very much of filmmaking at that time. Um, yeah. So I can only critique that so much. But, yeah, maybe maybe it is a little bit long, but it doesn't bug me. It's like the soundtrack and stuff keeps me enthralled the whole time, so... I really, really do yeah. dig this movie. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. This is this is a solid nine for me as well. I can't find much to complain about. Really love this flick. And if you like horror movies and you like occult stuff, this is an absolute must watch. Even if you don't really like horror movies, like this is just a cool movie. Yeah, so th- this is a, a, a maybe a horror movie you can see as just a drama. Huh? Yeah. If you're, if you're a horror movie hater and you're out there thinking, I don't want to watch a horror movie. Just uh, use Uncle Ben and Uncle Steve's attempt at uh, watching The Omen, which is watch it as though it's a family drama. Yeah, like it looks like it's on Lifetime Network. Yeah, maybe it's a Lifetime Network family drama. Very good, man. Well, Steve, what are we going to be watching on the show next week for these fine people? Oh, my gosh. Margot Kidder in... Black Christmas. Black bum, bum, bum. Christmas. Yeah, it is the season. So we're going to be throwing around a classic uh, Christmas horror movie for you guys. Now, actually, and Steve, a, a classic slasher. Never, yeah, classic slasher. I've actually never seen it before. Okay, well, yeah. Well, this, uh, this, I think Black Christmas is a movie that's criminally underwatched, especially for people who like slasher movies yeah. because. It is, I, I mean, people can say, like, you know, Psycho and stuff maybe started the slasher genre, mm-hmm. but Black Christmas will be the most familiar to people who've seen later slashers. I love it, it's slashers. It's the one who sort of establishes a lot of the the uh, ideas that slashers stick to. And, cool. Uh, I mean, you also get Margot Kidder being off the rails, so... I think it's well worth the watch and uh, we'll get to talk about it next week. So I'm really excited about that, man. I actually, I thought that I had seen this before, but I was thinking of silent night, deadly night, which is awesome. And I want to cover on the show sometime. Yeah. Also very awesome. Yeah. Well, so stay tuned next week. We'll be talking about old black Christmas. Now in the meantime, Steve, where can they find us on them internets? Well, you can always email us at dead and lovely pod at gmail.com. Uh, got a lovely email from an Aussie listener this uh, past week. Oh, and good day. Uh, Vegemite. Yeah, exactly. Uh, fizz. Uh, let's see. Brisbane. Kangaroo. Well, kangaroo, uh, I guess. Yeah. W- wallaby. <laughs> Vegemite. Did <laughs> I say Vegemite he actually said He actually said in his email, could you guys say more things that are familiar to Australia because... You know, I'm listening, and I'm like, "What? Uh, what is this all about? These Americ? Oh, sorry, these Yanks." Yeah, they yeah, call yeah, us. yeah. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm waiting for a horror movie about the infamous drop bear of Australia. Oh, man. A drop bear horror movie? That does sound perfect. <laughs> I know. That's like, that does sound like it would fit right in with like zombievers and stuff. Totally. Drop bear. Drop bear. That would be great. <laughs> um, anyway, you can always email us or uh, you can find us at uh, Instagram or Twitter at Dead Lovely Pod. And we also have a Facebook group. Lovely. You guys can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Eller Guitars. Steve, where can they find you? At Steven with a V Spratling. Sick. I would like to encourage you guys to continue rating and reviewing this podcast on iTunes. We've we've had a really wonderful number of reviews and stuff pop up for us. We really appreciate that, guys, because it makes us all the more searchable so we can spread our evil gospel among the world if we're uh <laughs> finally <laughs> yeah finally so please do continue contributing those reviews on itunes it just takes a second helps us out a lot keep it g-rated or else they will not post it well in the meantime we'll see you guys next week for a special crimbus celebration you guys have been dead and well we've been lovely Hail Satan! <laughs> Ave Satanas! <laughs> Boogan, hoggin, boogan, hoggin.